For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. So if you were to look at the newspaper headlines uh, or the radio news scripts from January uh, 10 years ago, you'd probably see the very same. You'd see it the same two years ago, four years ago, six years ago. It would all have to do with um, hospitals, A&Es, amount of people's on trolleys, not having enough beds. And this morning is no exception to all of that with the nurses and midwives again warning that uh, our wards are unsafe uh, and too uh, too many people, of course, are on trolleys. We just don't have enough beds. That's a front page or an inside page from the uh, Echo this morning. Whereas the Sun this morning says there's a thousand a day on trolleys. And they're the figures that we know of. They're the official figures, the trolleys. You know, you could have the, the Mary Harney wards in hospitals as well, where trolleys are hidden in wards. And in some cases, the wheels taken off. And so they don't count as trolleys trying uh, within management circles, I suppose, to try and keep the numbers um, cosmetically lower than they actually are. But we know of a thousand uh, on on trolleys in, in a single day, um, and it's going to be that way for the weeks ahead, according to um, uh, the statistics and indeed uh, some hospital consultants. They're coming in for some criticism themselves, actually, um, because Stephen Donnelly is clashing now with doctors and with consultants. He wants them to work out of hours, wants them to work more than the shifts that they've been allotted. He wants them to work at weekends. Unfortunately, all too often in the greater health system in Ireland, too much of it happens 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, when we really need a 24-7, 7-day-a-week hospital system to work. Isn't it true? So the Irish Times this morning says that uh, doctors... Um, consultants clashing with the health minister after he asked them to work weekends, particularly in the coming weeks, to help with dealing with the crisis in hospital emergency units. Now, they did respond to that, saying they're already working 24-7 and they're doing all sorts of extra rostered work and what have you. But the star this morning is saying, uh, and gives a typical example of a patient waiting three days, the age of 78, three days sitting on a chair. Um, And I think if you were to look at how many more beds we needed? That's one thing. We need about 5,000 and we've an awful lot less hospital beds in Ireland now. Thousands less than we had in 1981. And we were talking about that yesterday morning on air. But beds are all very well. But what's the point in having all of the extra beds? If you don't have the staff, whether it's nurses, whether it's doctors, whether it's surgeons, whether it's consultants with different speciality excellence, um, it, it won't work. Beds won't work without staff. So you get thousands then as well. If that wasn't bad enough, according to the Independent this morning, there have been 6,255 people that could have disabilities, that could be elderly, they could have dementia, they could have all of the above. They could be people um, who now are entitled, have been assessed and approved for home support visits from home carers, uh, but it hasn't been signed off on. And nobody's still coming through their front door. So 6,255 have been approved, but yet are not getting any help or visits. Thousands left waiting for home carers to be assigned. Is it, what, what is it? What, what is this crisis that's coming from all sides, really? Is it do, is it down to the fact that they just can't recruit people anymore and people don't want to work in home carers? And we're going to see an awful lot of people leaving, um, you know, we're going to see an awful lot of people leaving the likes of your Googles and your Facebooks and a lot of those that were uh, working for online companies or tech companies like that. Um, and many are, you know, going to be either laid off or going to decide that they want another job, um, uh, alternative in 2023 um, and maybe that's the same within health or people working within health or education for that matter papers also talked that schools are back and I saw lots uh, queuing for buses again this morning so 
Christmas came and went. But with that, of course, they're suggesting in the Independent that the return of schools will make the will deepen the flu crisis in our in our crowded hospitals, where hospitals are battling enough to keep um, uh, try and keep um, a, a lid on the overload and, and failing, unfortunately. But parents are being told, if your children have flu, for God's sake, would you keep them at home and don't be sending them to school? Because it's a virus that can be picked up by others and it's going to make things an awful lot worse. See that story in the mirror today? It's the story of the Fianna Fáil TD for Galway East. Um, and that's Anne Rabbit. Apparently she attended a meeting last night and had a bag of human excrement thrown at her and a government colleague. I think it's all very well to be critical of politicians or to call them out or to have robust, robust conversations or even arguments with them as long as it doesn't turn to fisticuffs. Uh, but I think throwing human excrement is certainly a step too far. You've got to wonder about the kind of person that would do that. There's a lot from the courts then uh, this morning. Actually, very interestingly, there, there was a man in the throes of very serious addiction trying to turn his life around, a 66-year-old Cork man, who apparently, well, he pleaded guilty uh, to carrying out thefts at St. Augustine's Church and also at St. Peter and Paul's Church in the city. Uh, he was taking money from the uh, the from the, the charity boxes. You know the boxes? I mean, one of them actually was apparently the share collection box at St. Augustine's Church. Uh, and he was taking money uh, on a regular enough basis over a, a few weeks, apparently, uh, and eventually got caught by Angarda Shikona. Um, he... He said that he had all sorts of problems in his life and you know, I think we can all accept that uh, with regards to um, drug addiction and, and gambling. Um, but when confronted, um, he was found to have sums of cash on him. Uh, he got good defence good defense in court and the, and the judge actually decided that he would put sentence back for a couple of months and warned him that he needed to turn his life around because it's a particularly awful type of crime, isn't it? To be robbing collection boxes. But it also gives an example of what people will go to um, when um, all they're interested in is where am I going to get the next 10, 15 or 20 euro for another little bag of heroin or whatever the case may be and that was the case for, for that man meanwhile of course there's nothing glamorous about, about drugs of course and drug distribution and drug smuggling and the star this morning is an example of an Irishman who thankfully has been arrested he was stopped in Melbourne airport uh, why? well he was smuggling cocaine into Australia in Kinder Surprise capsules. He's now facing 25 years in jail. They come up with all sorts of different ways and means of getting drugs into a country, don't they? And meanwhile, something that's never too far from discussion on Leaside is the planned injection centre for Cork City. Now, this is very interesting because they've given the go-ahead now for the Dublin Pilot Facility Project, the injection centre in Dublin. So now the examiner is suggesting that the HSE now is, my words not theirs, going gung-ho really, uh, you know, damn busters, to set up the mobile drug injection centre for Cork City. Now, mobile, that's new to me. I thought it was to be a bricks and mortar facility somewhere within the city. So it's very interesting, isn't it, as to whether it will be mobile or indeed whether it will be bricks and mortar in a particular uh, situation where it wouldn't move. It'll be like in a building. So it's interesting what will happen in the, in the coming months as we head across 2023 with an injection centre on, on Leaside. Papers also this morning talk of issues involving airbrushing history. You're aware of an awful lot of the talk these days about different countries uh, suing British families who were involved in the slave trade uh, down through the hundreds of years. I see Dominic uh, Cumberbatch's family are 
well, his relations and ancestors of her are very much in hot water at the moment. It's got nothing to do with him, obviously, because it was hundreds of years ago. Uh, but I'm interested that, you know, an awful lot of people are talking about um, suing families who actually had slave plantations in the likes of the Caribbean. But there is another one that's been, I've been following over the past week, perhaps you're aware of it, and that is the division in the UK within uh, the UK historians. Some who believe that the Irish famine was intentional and others who are pushing back and saying that was not the case. It was a blight of the potato and the British helped as much as they could and the British House of Parliament got on board as fast as they could and gave as much as they could. And of course, that's just not true. It was a genocide um, and they didn't do as much as they could. In fact, within the Houses of Parliament during the famine, there was far too many MPs at the time saying, let them die. There's too many of them. As Scrooge would say, it will diminish the surplus population. So that's a story that makes the mail this morning in quite some detail. There's a lot to do then, of course, with uh, refugees, asylum seekers, and those that are coming here, seeing Ireland as a soft touch and are coming uh, for what could be a better life, but have actually no legitimate reason to be looking for international protection and applying for international protection orders. And the big problem, of course, added to all of that is that we have nowhere to put refugees and we have nowhere to put people who are coming here under international protection orders from countries um, that really aren't even at war in the first place. So the thinking now of using hotels and churches as schools for refugees, because 2023 isn't actually going to be any different to 2022, because there's no cap and they're not looking at changing the system of people coming into Ireland and applying for asylum, applying for refugee status, or indeed under an international protection order. And just finally for now, there are some lovely light-hearted stories making the papers today, although I don't know whether this would fit into the category of light-hearted, but apparently in the UK now, the office working week is Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Um, they have new data out now because they've been able to trace people's mobile phone activity and they analysed it. Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, office days, Monday and Friday, working from home days. It's quite, it's quite interesting, I always find, that the working from home days are at the start and the end of, of a weekend. But at the same time, those that are actually going to work, particularly Generation Z, this would be uh, 2,000 of the Generation Z workers that were recently researched for the UK Times, they said that um, the staff, and these will be young staff, obviously, they want gyms, they want cakes, they want to be able to take their dogs to work, and they want life coaches. That's what they want. Uh, access to a life coach, cakes in the office, a lot more working from home, thank you very much, bringing the dogs to work, um, and a shorter working week. Um, <laughs> I think... I think I could probably go along with most, if not all of those, apart from bringing the dog to work. And then loads and loads of technical marvels, apparently, that you will see available to buy across 2023. Do you ever come across people who are just so loud on the phone in public? Sometimes it's on trains or buses. They're just so loud. And then there's another brand of people that I'm always in awe of for what I believe to be their rudeness. And that is conducting telephone calls in public on speakerphones. I, I mean, I fail to understand why they think it's a good idea that we should all hear the entire phone call. It's bad enough people listening to music on their mobile phones on speakerphone. But what are you going to do? But there's now a thing called a voice muter. Um, and it's a new piece of tech. It's an ugly, ugly, ugly mask, um, which is a bit like half a Batman mask. And it goes down on the lower part of your face and it literally covers your entire mouth and nose. But apparently you can make calls in public and nobody can hear you. 
So off you go now and buy yourself a voice muter. There are other things to do. I'll come back to more of them across the morning. But if I could just mention one other one now. There is now a baby translator. A piece of kit called a baby translator. So if you've ever been wondering what your newborn baby is crying about, this device, this baby translator, will tell you. There are four basic needs of a baby, apparently. And the four needs are hunger, dirty nappy, uh, sleepiness, or uncomfortable pain, I suppose. And this baby translator will tell you which of the four problems your baby is having based on the cry of the baby. So off you go now, if you have more money than sense. Um, there's more of them, actually. I'll come back to them throughout the course of the morning. The Neil Prendeville Show. Gold winner for Interactive Speech Program at the Imro Radio Awards 2022. Red FM. Calls on the way. A little bit of housekeeping, if you don't mind. I want to give a very special mention and a big thank you to Murphy's Electrical from Clarksbridge House off Washington Street. Now, they did a great job and they were a great help to both the show and Penny Dinners at the back end of Christmas week, providing fridges for two separate families who were in despair at the time. So I want to say thank you to Murphy's Electrical. They delivered the fridges. In one case, it was a woman who I believe was blind. Um, and needed it badly and quickly and did it. So thank you to Murphy's Electric for coming on board. Also, you might remember early in the week, I spoke with David Lynch, whose late father, Sean, died in the house fire in the family home in Carrigaline over Christmas. Now, there was no insurance and the house got absolutely destroyed. The little dog in the house also perished, as well as Sean uh, buying, dying himself. Uh, and John, uh, his brother, sorry, David, his brother was on the air with me. And one of the things he was looking for was a structural engineer to assess whether or not the house should be demolished or rebuilt. I want to say thank you to John O'Brien and company, Structural Engineering from Kilworth. They're going to provide free structural reports for David Lynch uh, on the home. And I'm happy to be able to announce that they're going to do that free of charge. And I'm very, very grateful to them. Now, there was a fundraiser set up for David Lynch by the Friends of David Lynch, obviously. um, uh, And that fundraiser, because he lost everything in the fire, most importantly, his dad, Sean Lynch, died and perished in the fire in Carrigaline. But the fundraiser is already at 21,260 euro. And a final piece, if you don't mind, the GoFundMe that was set up for Bruna Fonseca, who was murdered on Leaside last weekend. And of course, we'll allow the courts now to take their course. But that fundraiser was set up by uh, Maria Luisa Fonseca um, and it currently stands now at €53,000. The original target was €30,000. It now stands at 53000 So that's the housekeeping. You're up to date and everything you need to know from this programme over the last week or 10 days or so. Uh, so the phone lines we go. Pick up the phone on 0818-104-106. Orla, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well. I was start- thankfully I'm well, apart from you know the odd sniffles and colds and what have you. But nothing that will be taking me anywhere near an A and E. And well, I was telling the story here. this morning. God knows we'll get more this morning from say the CUH. But one of the ones in the paper this morning talks of a 78 year old literally just sitting there for uh, 78 year old sitting three days on a hard chair in A and E. But tell me about Michael. Oh, where shall I start? <laughs> um, we were on your show in studio there a few years ago in relation to getting a wheelchair for my son. For his scoliosis, wasn't it? No, um, he was in an unsafe buggy at the time. Okay, okay. Um, and he got the 
the wheelchair eventually got a second one. His second one is now too small. But the issue now is that Michael waited. Um, Michael was diagnosed with scoliosis at four years of age, and he got his first X-ray in November. Okay. And he's ten. I'm just looking at the notes here. Um, he was diagnosed with scoliosis six years ago. I got the first X-ray. In spite of that diagnosis, only last October. It was November. November. Oh, no, October, November. Okay. It, it doesn't okay. really matter. Okay. And, yeah. All right. Okay. And his pain levels. What are they like? Through the roof. First thing in the morning, last thing at night. Pain, no matter what you do. Um. Our Michael's physiotherapist, his doctors, his GP, they're trying their best to manage his pain. Um, but it's it's really hard on him. Um, he has a 30 degree cob angle on his spine and we're waiting to see the surgeon. Um, that'll be How long are you waiting for? How long is that going on? Well, he was only, um, it was only deemed necessary that he see the orthopedic surgeon from Dublin after he got the x-ray. Okay, so that wouldn't have kicked in until October, September, October of 2022. But he's been, he was was diagnosed and living with the pain as a 10-year-old from the age of four. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And is, is there any pain management for that? Not really. Like we're like he's on um a muscle relaxer which has helped with other things, but he isn't on painkillers for his pain, only calpol and norfin. And that's it, calpol yeah. or norfin. And no surgery whatsoever in, in the in the last six years, no? For scoliosis, no. Oh, right. But would would surgery help? It would, but whether they will do it at a 30 degree angle is, I don't know. So, um, But it was they, a 30 degree angle six years ago though. Oh no, there was no scoliosis six years ago. His spine was pretty much straight six years ago. Um, God almighty. And, yeah. And um, his current wheelchair is not helping the situation because he's leaned over Um to one side, to the side that the angle is on. And I have been asking his team to look at his wheelchair and I've been asking since July of last year. Um, Michael's a 10-year-old boy. He takes after his dad. His dad was 6'1 by the time he was 14 years of age. Michael is now 10. How how tall is Michael? How tall is he? Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but he's quite tall for a ten-year-old. Okay. Because he, because he's in the wheelchair, I can't quite tell. But he is about four. But if he had got the, if, if he got four foot, if he got the, if he got the treatment that he needed at the very young age, he wouldn't be in the situation he's in now, would he? I'm not like I'm not. They wouldn't have been able to do anything when when there was nothing to do, nothing like to work on but like what I'm annoyed at is that it took six years for him to get his first x-ray so they weren't they weren't clinically looking after it what did he need the original x-ray for? 
to see how bad, like, they normally, once they're diagnosed with scoliosis, yeah. they are x-rayed annually. Yeah. Michael wasn't x-rayed annually. Oh, my like God. His first one took six years to do. Good God. And do you think that there were other children in the same situation as your 10-year-old son? Absolutely. There that are children there that are at a 100-degree angle crying publicly on national TV. What do you mean a 100-degree angle? What do you mean by that? The curve? Yeah, the curve would be 100 degrees. I've seen it on... Um, there's actually a child, I don't know where they are, but they're in a halo, which is basically a traction that keeps them as straight as possible, like basically wearing a halo and like metal externally on their body while they're sitting in the wheelchair. And that child is waiting on surgery. And and well. surgery years before would have made a huge, huge difference in, in all of those cases, yeah? Yeah. It's, it's like, it's it's just cruel. It's cruel to But I feel that the HSE, the surgeons, are waiting for our kids to get worse before they will... Well, why would you say that? Because that's what's happening. So a 100 degree scoliosis curve is almost like touching the ground. I wouldn't know. I'm not very good with geometry and calculations. But it's pretty bad, yeah. Yeah. So is he school going or, or what, Michael? He is, yeah. And how does he cope yeah. in school? Um, yeah, he loves school. School takes him away from his pain, if you, if you get me, because he's interacting with his friends, he's interacting with his teacher and his absolutely amazing SNAs and staff. Um, he has come on so much um, since he went back to school since COVID. Um. Yeah, but hard to concentrate, hard to study, hard to take in the information in the school. I mean, what does he say of all of this? What's going on? What does Michael say? Michael has an intellectual disability, so he doesn't, he can't communicate, so he goes to a special school for children with intellectual disabilities and physical disabilities. Um, But he, he does enjoy school. His spine will continue to curve. He will continue yeah. in pain every morning. Um, yeah. And all to do with the curvature of his spine. And the longer it's left, the worse it gets. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and how does that make you feel about uh, a mother in Cork in Ireland in 2023? Angry. Yeah, I can understand why. Like, I'm, like I've fought for Michael since before he was born. Um I'd fight for a hospital bed in, in Temple Street Firm. I had to, I had to fight for absolutely everything. Fight for his first wheelchair. Anything to do with the HSA, I had to fight for. Yeah, sure, that wouldn't surprise me. People have to fight constantly, constantly, constantly. Yeah. And Six promise months. after promise after promise has to be constantly followed up on. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous and it's it's very draining and physically and mentally draining. It's just it's just so hard. I can't understand why the HSE don't say don't just say. I don't understand why children don't have individual an individual package of money that is given to them every year so that 
what they need, what they need when they need it, it's there. It's yeah. Really got. Yeah, and an early intervention and early surgery and whatever is needed at an early stage to make a difference rather than allowing it to just get worse and worse in the earliest yeah. years. So sorry to hear that, um, Orla. Do, do stay in touch, though, if there's any updates there, you know. It just Will gives do. another example of the shocking state of our health system. Thank you for that. Thanks, you. Okay, Orla, take care. Anna, good morning. Anna, can you hear me all right? Okay. Oh, there you are. Thank you. Um, you, you just you want to, you? good. Thanks. Just picking up um, on our A and E. Were you there in the A and E? I was. I was actually admitted the early hours of students this morning with um, a bad flu and breathing problems. So then they put me into an isolation cubicle for ten hours. Now I'm not blaming the nurses and doctors, but like there's no one coming near you, like keeping you updated. You know. Then I finally got an X-ray nine hours later. And I was sent home. It's just ridiculous. And then my husband, Stephen, was saying... Was that it, though? I mean, you, you go in with what you described as, what, a very bad flu, was it? Yeah, I was diagnosed with flu A. I was um, taken away by ambulance, flu A. How bad is and flu A? Describe that. How are you feeling? Just constant coughing, gasping for air. Couldn't catch a breath. It's just frightening. You just think you're go- going to go unconscious. It's just scary. Oh my God. So Just literally couldn't yeah. breathe. Aches, pains, fevers, everything like, like that, joint pain, all yeah. that. Yeah, the whole lot. And had you gone through your doctor and South Dock and everything? Yeah, but I rang South Dock and when I explained my symptoms, like they said, we then sent out an ambulance straight away because like, it was an emergency and like that hour you can't get a doctor. So when the ambulance arrived then they did the test and they said, yeah, you have um, QA and um, I was given oxygen and they said you need a chest x-ray. So, like, when they brought me in, then I was inside in the isolation. Like, I'm not blaming the staff now, as I said, but, like, there's no one coming near you, like, keeping you updated. Twice I approached the counter, and I was told to go back to my um, pod because I was too positive. You know, it's like they don't even want to deal with you. So, when the nurse came over then, I asked for more oxygen. So they came over with more, and they didn't even put the mask on properly. It was just put there and I was like meant to know what to do myself right. like I'm not a trained medical, you okay. know. Okay, but how busy was it? They were just demented. When demented. I went up to inquire, yeah, when I went up to ask how long more I'd be, they said, you're seventh in line, we have no idea, you could be here another three, five hours, we just can't tell you how long more you're going to wait. Right, okay. So they what happened no in idea. the heel of the hunt is you got, you got oxygen? Um, I got I got oxygen. You got um, an X-ray of your of your lungs. You got a prescription yeah. from an antibiotic and sent home. Was it? No, the um, I was finally given the chest X-ray. Yeah, and I'd say within the hour I was um, sent home because the X-ray came back clear. And then it was a junior doctor that I was dealing with, and she said you're going to need um, a ventilator inhaler, but you need a spacer. Which is, I don't know, are you familiar with that? It's like. No, um, I'm just wondering, why would you have to go all the way into A and E in an ambulance um, to go through what you went through when all you needed at the end of the day was an inhaler? That's, that, that's what I'm saying. I mean, the situation What's is. What's the just, point? Like, surely there's a better system that could prevent you having to go to A and E, get you assessed yeah. somewhere else, South Dock or GP, get a prescription for an inhaler. Yeah, the situation is just ridiculous. I mean, I was in I was in hospital for, as I said, ten hours, and I wasn't even given an antibiotic. Then they said you have a viral infection. So basically, they just 
sent to me home with um, an anti-inflammatory and a painkiller, which did me no good. So I was lucky enough to finally see my own GP yesterday and now I've ended up with a chest infection, so I'm on antibiotics, which I've known if like, I was prescribed those in the hospital. On the way out, I wouldn't have... Um, I think I had that chest infection in the hospital at the time, you know? I know, I suppose I understand that and it must have been awful for you, but I'm just trying to work out how many other people would have been in the A&E and are in the A&E and there's no need for them to be in there, that a lot of the time it could have been prevented before ever having to get an ambulance to the A&E. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. You call it, you say they were demented up there, probably demented with an awful lot of people who were very sick but didn't need A&E. No, and I think like a lot of people had to stay complaint up there. Like there was a poor woman in the cubicle next to me, constant coughing, like myself. And like, as I said, there was no one coming near any of us. Like to say, oh, you're seven to nine, you could be here another two, three hours. I mean, it's just so frustrating. That's where the frustration comes into it. You're not being informed of the situation. You're just left there to fend for yourself. And what was the story with your husband then? Well, he actually had a first experience in my New Year's Day. He woke up the same breathing problems. So he went to South Dock and they um, examined him and they they gave him a letter and they thought that he might have something wrong with his heart. So they sent him to South Dock and they said, you have a letter here now? Or they sent him to the COH. They said, you have a letter so you will be seen rapidly you won't have a long wait but he ended up waiting 20 hours in the A&E as well he right. wasn't even in an isolation cubicle because he had no diagnosis when he went up and 3 o'clock in the morning he was told there was 107 people ahead of him waiting to be assessed before him 107? 107? Yeah. 107 people ahead of him so he felt like walking out, but I advised him, I said, like, you're going to be back to square one. Like, I know it was the Christmas period and it was impossible to get hold of a GP. But, I mean, it's ridiculous. 20 hours. 20 Why, hours. are you saying that GPs don't have any services available over Christmas, is it? No, it's like very limited. Or limited, okay. Room. Yeah, okay. Now, as I said, I was fortunate to get my see my own GP yesterday. Okay, so he went in like, then. He was there, like, something 170 on the list 20 hours, was he seen? He was eventually seen and um, he got a chest x-ray also and that came back clear because like, initially he was referred because they said he might have heart problems. And did he? But no, he didn't. No. What, what did they told. give him? <laughs> this is the best thing. They gave him a prescription for a nasal spray and when I went up to the pharmacy to collect it, I couldn't believe it. They said, this is only an nasal spray. This could be obtained over the counter. He didn't even need a prescription for it. There's another example, Anna, of somebody who should never have been in the A&E in the first place. And it was no. a, he got a nasal spray that he could have got in the chemist over the counter. <laughs> exactly. How many it's of the other long. 170 ahead of you in the queue have similar kinds of stories that they're being sent into A&E when they're not needed, to, when it's not needed for them to go to A&E? Exactly, they have no place up there because like, they're not being given the proper adequate medical care, you know what I mean? But imagine but if you were a doctor or a nurse or a consultant working in the A&D, no disrespect to the people who are being sent there, and they go, they have 170 people on a list and a lot of them are just there and all they need is a nasal spray. She, you'd be demented as a worker there, wouldn't you? That's just crazy. And I, as I said, no, I'm like, I'm not blaming the staff, but... As I said, like, all he needed, he could have went up to the chemist himself and got a nasal spray. I mean, what was he waiting 20 hours for? 
Did he give him a nasal spray that he could have obtained over the counter himself? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Thanks for that, Anna. Regards to yourself and your husband. Examples this morning, notwithstanding people that have very serious issues and need to be in A&E, but the question has to be asked about those who are being sent there where it could be prevented or preempted much earlier and they don't need to be there in the first place. My wife spent 57 hours on a chair in A&E since Sunday with a clot on her lung. She's 77. She was there since Sunday, didn't get a bed until Wednesday. She's lucky to be still alive. At present, there are 100 in A&E. 60 of those are there for at least two days with no facilities, not even showers. Um, Keep me in touch with that. And if you have an opportunity to come on air, uh, do so. But uh, at this stage now, this is Thursday uh, and your wife's been in there since Sunday afternoon. Um, Anyway, keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. I hope Anna can hold on. Each take an ad break. Back after these. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818104106. Red FM. This is not an A&D problem. It's a hospital problem manifested in the emergency department. There is a study that shows that for every 82 patients who wait for a bed for more than eight hours in an emergency department, one will die as a result of the delays. It's the very same situation in the UK with the NHS. It's in total chaos. The triple-demic is causing a huge surge in hospital admissions and putting the system under severe pressure. And that statistic, actually, we actually did check that yesterday afternoon. And it is true, there is um, statistical information and research to back up this study that shows that for every 82 patients who wait for a bed more than eight hours in an ED, one will die as a direct result of the delays. That's why you're hearing stories like in the papers yesterday morning that people will die because of the crisis that we're in right now. And of course, it's exacerbated by people through no fault of them of themselves shouldn't be in the emergency department in the first place. They should have been sorted either by South Dock or their own GP or perhaps even a visit to the chemist. It's an absolute scandal what's going on in the CUH and I'm sure other hospitals as well. Our 86-year-old mother was sent there recently and spent 24 hours on a trolley. But what I saw inside the ED was unbelievable. Uh, Up in the wards, the situation isn't much better. The left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. The thing that surprised me the most was this. I spent a whole day not knowing if mum was coming home or not and I was hanging around the hospital for six hours uh, before At 7pm, I finally decided to go and help her into bed for the night. Then a nurse came along to her at 10pm and told her to get up and that she was being left go home. In the depths of winter on a night which was pouring rain, are they trying to kill our elderly? Obviously, my mother said there was no one around at that hour to take her home. Before, I would have thought that if someone was ill, they were in the best place in hospital. But I don't think that anymore. Elderly people are just left sitting there and no one is checking if they're eating, drinking or even if they're warm enough. Also on a separate matter with regards to refugees apart from the Ukrainians, the powers that be have absolutely ruined our country. It's just going from bad to worse. Keep those texts coming. Text uh, 0868104106. By the way, the doll isn't back until the 18th of January. Um, So um, an interesting text here says, so Stephen Donnelly telling doctors to go into work while they're on their Christmas break is rather ironic and hypocritical, isn't it? I suppose it is when you look at it that way, when they themselves within the doll are on their extended Christmas break. The doll sat for the last time on the 17th of December and won't be back until the 18th of January, a month. 
in the middle of crisis after crisis after crisis. Anyway, thank you to Anna B for holding. Anna, good morning. Hi, Neil. Good morning. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yet another story involving uh, the A&E. Go ahead. Tell us the story. Yeah, um, so we all had COVID. Um, You know, we're like dominoes. Like my husband was first, then my son, then myself. And they were like a few days apart. Um, But my son started getting really sick um, with COVID and he's only seven um, and his throat was swelling, his lips were cracked. We were um, trying to get doctor's appointments for him and nobody would see him. So we got to South Talk, we got to our own GP. I even got onto the walking clinic, you know, it's like 40 euro for like a, a phone consultation. Um, nobody would see him. Um, and my own GP, not my actual GP, but a person working there, they have a load of doctors. Um, he called me and he said, um, look, oh, it's viral, COVID is viral. And I was trying to tell him how sick my son was. Um, and you're, you'd be very hesitant to go to the, the hospital because we've avoided it like the plague for the last three years. You know, I mean, we just didn't want to be in the hospital. Um, and it was probably five days into COVID for him then or six days in and it was on a Sunday morning at 6am my husband went into him and he just said Daddy I can't breathe Oh my God I can understand why you would go to A&E if yeah. a child tells you I can't breathe so You're, not, you're not getting a result with the doctor You're not getting a result with no, the walking no, no, clinic You're nothing. not getting a result with South Doc nothing. I understand that he gave me he gave me an antibiotic on the phone and we kind of did a little bit of homework on it and it was like a really looked to me like a low dosage baby's antibiotic. I think he just gave it to me to get me off the phone. Um, and um, obviously it wasn't right, it wasn't good. And even while I was on the phone to this doctor, he was asking me to check my child's throat out. So I had a spoon in my child's throat trying to Google images of strep A, of tonsillitis, of different things. So then we were the doctors on the phone. Um, so again, because I was talking about this earlier in the week, parents of small children do have a fear of strep, don't they? Oh, we do, yeah, and definitely. But you, you know yourself like when your child is very sick and then when you hear, I can't breathe, and he's only seven, um, and it was six o'clock in the morning, and I had COVID, so um, my husband was just negative, and my my son was positive, and I said, right, like everyone caught on, and we drove down to the Mercy to the a and and I, I couldn't go in then because I had COVID, and my husband was telling him he doesn't have COVID, so he went in with him, and um, his lungs were full of mucus. Um, his throat was um, infected um, and he, it was the wrong antibiotic so they changed the antibiotic um, the and they wrong gave him, antibiotic well when I say wrong, Dangerously I mean, wrong I was, no weak, no not like weak, that just weak weak, weak yeah. sorry right. I was yeah. totally Let's not appropriate fair. for okay. him yeah. yeah oh definitely yeah, yeah. Um, um, but um, he gave him a, a different antibiotic that was for bacterial lung infection and not what we had um, and then um, he gave him steroids to um, for three days to take to like you know open up his lungs and he gave us something for the nebulizer that he was on the nebulizer every night. Um, but my point was is that why won't anyone see children? Well, what would why have happened if them? you hadn't done that? I wonder. Thank God you did. I mean, well, I would I would have I would have put the horn on and the blinkers on and I would have broke every light on the way to the hospital myself. If something bad had happened, I wouldn't even be calling for an ambulance because I, I think it's so bad these days. Now you have to just take care of it yourself. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, if you've got wheels yeah. under you and you can drive, don't be oh, calling yeah. an ambulance. Yeah, You're absolutely. right there. No, yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah. 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 But when your child tells you they can't breathe, then you go, okay, well, this is when we have to go. Like, um, But I was trying to look at all these images of what his throat looks like. What does this throat look like? Because this is while I'm on the phone to the doctor now. He's telling me, look in his throat. How does his throat look to you? And here I am feeling his chest and feeling his forehead and everything. Um, and I was thinking to myself, like, why can't they come down the stairs and listen to a child's chest? 
The car park for the doctor's surgery is right beside it. So why can't someone take 10 seconds to come down and look in a child's mouth Don't for know. 50 euro an hour? Don't know. Don't know. Is it that much out of, the, out of their, you know, legal scope or whatever that they can't walk down the stairs next to a car park where you've got a child struggling to breathe or with a throat swollen, and, you know, really sick children, but you're like, will I go to the hospital? Won't I? It's full of people who are really sick. And we're, we're, we're diagnosing the children ourselves. Yeah. Like, so, can yeah. you not come down the steps, Neil, and actually look in your child's throat? Because clearly, it, it, it would be the case that clearly with somebody with COVID, any age whatsoever, or maybe even a really bad flu, can't walk into a doctor's surgery or can't can walk in... can not come down, Neil? Can't walk into South Dock. But, can, but, but I'm just saying to myself, like, I'm just thinking out loud as well, like, the car parks for the surgeries are right beside them. It's 10 steps down the stairs. Is there some huge reason why a doctor can't come down and look into a child's throat and put the stethoscope or whatever it's called up to his chest with a mask on? We'll turn the child's head away. You're not going to flip and die. Yeah. I mean, can they yeah. not come down and listen? Yeah, I yeah, use the, the old drive-in COVID testing exactly. centres. You know the one you on the South Douglas Road? You're bang on. You're yeah. bang on. We did drive-through PCR. Drive-through. Yeah. yeah. The, why don't they have... The government needs to forget their out-of-hours doctor for South Dock now. They need to open it back up, put it down in the Mallow Road in Blackpool for a drive-through doctor. 24 hours till we get out of this pickle that we're in and let us drive our kids through so a doctor will actually look, actually look in a child's throat and say... That's not strep, but it, it's tonsillitis. And if I don't give you the right antibiotic, your child's going to end up in hospital. Yeah, and, and then and then of course that alleviates using that kind of system you just yeah. described alleviates Absolutely. unbelievable pressure on people no. trying to work and deal with people who need to be in A and E. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. you know, I, we were so worried about our kids, but I was like, if a doctor had just listened to his chest, he would have said, well, that sounds a bit kind of gooey in there, mucky in there, whatever, like, and oh, his throat is a bit bad. So look, we're going to change the antibiotic up. He's going to need something else. But instead, it's like, no, we can't see them. What he said to me was, if he's trouble, trouble breathing, take him to the hospital. So well, doctors are pushing, pushing patients of all ages to the A&Es. Oh, Absolutely. Their advice is to go to A&E or South Dock. That's the doctor's advice. And the HSE are roaring and screaming with announcements saying the complete opposite to that. Saying, don't. Yeah. Go to your GP. Well, go exactly, to South Dock. The GPs won't see children who have the walk-in clinic, which is fantastic. Amazing by the lock. And I can understand they won't see anyone with a sore throat or a temperature because of COVID. But the car park is just outside the door. Jesus, like, come out and have a listen. Turn your head the other way for five seconds. I feel your frustration. I'm so frustrated with it, Neil, because children are going to end up like, some people are afraid to go to the hospital and their kids are getting very sick then. We don't know when that line is where, like, should we go? Should we stay? You know, should we go to the hospital? And we, we went because he couldn't breathe. And he ended well, it could be a, def- it could be a fear of strep or it could be a fear of meningitis or something like that. Yeah. You, you don't know. You're not medically, you're not medically uh, skilled. Exactly, I'm not. And, you know, if you saw my Google search for the last month, oh my God, you'd think I was into horror movies or something. You shouldn't have to do that. You shouldn't Google have to do that. Google image, throat. But you, what you said there about the PCR clinic in, you know, they, they should be pop-up doctor surgeries now for emergencies. You're in the fresh air, you know, you have a mask on, you know, can we just look in your throat, especially with children? If, like. it's, if it's a lot of the virus stuff that we're having at the moment, then that would be a great solution rather than sending people oh, to an Oh, it would be brilliant, yeah, you know, yeah. but they need, they need to cop on it because they're on the holidays until the 18th and we're all here with children with high temperatures who can't even breathe half of them and they're giving out to doctors and you've mothers at home worried, when, when will I get in the car? Stephen Donnelly's saying work harder, work harder. Yeah, yeah I know work what you're harder. Saying. Have another glass of Prosecco, Stephen. Thanks, Anna. Cheers. Vince, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Happy New Year to you. And many happy returns to you. Um, 
this is not a new crisis. It's every winter, every... So you could set your watch to it, to be honest with you, couldn't you? You could. And if you look across Europe, all the countries like Germany, France, Holland, Northern Ireland, it's really, really bad everywhere. So to a degree, you know, when you turn on the radio, turn on the TV now, like, I do sympathise with people with small children and elderly people who are sick. Don't get me wrong. But it's a... There's a bit of media hysteria here, you know. Oh. Uh, like, it's on, like, you go to TV3 News, RT News, every show, you know. Like, this is every year. Maybe it's a bit worse with COVID and all the different viruses and the weather, I think, is a factor as well. But, um... It's not helped by the fact point, that it's quite mild at this time as well, so it's less able it to is, uh, kill off viruses point, with a my cold. My point in general is, where I really do feel sorry for is elderly people. I heard of it, I live near the hospital, and uh, uh, Christmas week, a 91-year-old woman was in a, an ambulance for Tuesday night, all day Wednesday, Wednesday night, and Thursday. She got a bed on Thursday night. You know, 91, I think that's terrible. Uh, but not in well, the ambulance for those three days. She was in the ambulance. She was treated in the ambulance because they had no trolley yeah. and they had no bed. But how long do you that think was, she was actually in the ambulance? She was being treated in the ambulance as uh, as if the ambulance was a ward. Yeah. God almighty. That's, that, that, that's facts. I was talking I wonder, to her daughter. Yeah, how, yeah. Long, how long was she in the actual ambulance? Uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday and Thursday. In the ambulance yeah. without it ever moving? Yeah. But That's bizarre. That, so, so an yeah. ambulance can't move from the COH because the 91-year-old woman is being treated in it for at least two yeah. days. Whether it was an extra ambulance, but she was in an ambulance. There are no extra ambulances. There are no extra ambulances. Yeah, she was. A, her daughter told me that. But anyway, regardless, my point is this, uh, that there's a lot we can do in the public, that people can do, to stay healthy, you know, and the HSE have never done a, a promotion on that. What I mean by is, like, at the moment, like, take, for example, Friday night. It's uh, Women's Christmas on Friday. Yeah. Like, every restaurant in Cork City and County will be full on Friday night. There's going to be people mixing at a ferocious level. Yeah. Like, and there's viruses spreading like mad. So it doesn't make sense. Like, I wouldn't go into a, a small pub where there's a lot of people at the moment. I wouldn't go into a busy public area. You know, not even around Christmas. I'd be careful. And, like, wearing a mask. I don't know where the idea of not wearing a mask. I wouldn't make it mandatory. But, like, it, give me a break. Wear a mask if you're in a bus or why if you're are, in a... Why are, we yeah, talking, yeah. why are we talking like that now? We didn't, we didn't used to talk like that five years ago or ten years ago or fifteen years ago when we had flu. Like, people would go to school and they'd go to work and they'd be half dead, mm. right? Be all blocked yeah. up and coughing and sneezing and doing everything like that. But they'd still go to work or they'd still go out. or mm. they'd, You know, they'd yeah. oh, I feel awful, Jez, of the flu or if I, it was really bad, they'd talk to bed. But yeah, now, now everything, thinking, everything now is uh, we're on alert and there's an alarm and you can't go out yeah, and you I mustn't agree. make it's flu. Exactly. I I, I was t- listening to your show yesterday and I was actually thinking the very same thing. Are people softer today than they were twenty yes. years ago? Yes, they. Are yes, they yes, we're getting soft. Yeah, I think. We're, but I do think myself like I, I I gave up cigarette smoking. 
10 years ago. I'm off the drink about 10 or 12 years. And I think if you look after yourself and eat healthy, go for a walk. You know, you have this 100 days of walking. It's on radio now where you walk for... Kira Kelly's doing it months. again. This is this, this is not the first time she's done these 100 days of walking. Yeah, I think it? it's a pretty good idea. Yeah, and she's getting I, loads I, of people I, walking with her. I see her Instagram videos on a daily basis encouraging fantastic. people. fantastic. I, I was... I got let's the go, let's go. There. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I got the bloods done and the nurse said it to me. She said, it's good for your head. It's good for your mental health. It gets you moving. And there's a lot of people sitting all day in jobs now and they're sitting at home. But my point is... And I want you to hold that point if you can. I'm out of time for now, but I'll pick it up after 10 if you're available. Text 0868104106, guys. After 10, thank you. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Now, I'll be taking some time out in a few minutes' time to read out texts on different topics over the past few days because they're important. If people text, then they deserve the respect of having them read on the air as best as I can or as many as I can. But I did mention a text earlier this morning uh, a text that came in about a woman who spent 57 hours on a chair in the A&D since Sunday with a clot in her lung, 77-year-old woman. Uh, I believe that's Patricia. Patricia, good morning. Is this Neil? Yes. Can you hear me all right, my dear? Hello, Neil. I'm fine, Neil. By the way, Neil, You're I'm f- 70. Oh, it says, somebody put, somebody said 77. You want to talk to whoever sent in the text? You're 70 years Neil, young. Neil, I listen, I listen to you in my kitchen every morning. I'm ringing from the CUH. Right. I'm still a patient. You went in I on went, Sunday morning, was it? I went in New Year's morning. Right. With difficulty in breathing. Had my mates that didn't kick in. I was met with the nurse straight away in. Got painkillers in a hub a hub what they use for the COVID yeah but they're used for other things now yeah I sat there I waited for the team to come they looked after me now I could have went to any hospital but my doctor was in the CUH I sat there oxygen the tubes you know medical stuff I sat there for 57 hours and what I witnessed I am appalled as a cock citizen as a citizen of the city with three ministers hang your head in shape yeah. Yeah. I see a mother lying waiting for maids her maids didn't kick in a young mother lying on the floor in pain without a blanket without a pillow crying waiting for maids to kick in on the floor on the floor on by my feet I on accident her, next to her, the phone, Mommy, don't cry, we love you. A young mother slept all night. I have pe- people sitting in hubs with legs on chairs. There are 60 hubs, 50 to 60, I stand corrected. There is no shower, nor five days, six days sitting waiting. There is no shower for people. There are toilets, three. You might walk the corridors of the CUH. There is no shower washing facility. I wash my body in wipes. I've seen men get aggravated. I see a man sit for three or four days refusing. They weren't. He said, I need help. He went away to another hospital. He left? Left. 
I saw two guards came in where I was sitting. God put me where I was sitting. Two guards came in. There was no kickoff fighting, no youngsters, no drunks. This person, strip, give me your clothes. Did a very, he could, he could only walk in the situation that he was in. There's trolleys, there's... Strip? Nothing. What do you mean? Who asked him to strip? The guards, they wanted his clothes, bagged them. Okay, that would have been forensic yes. evidence for something yes. or other. Yeah. Yes. But in yes. public, was no. it? Yeah, well, at the side of me. No, they did it discreetly, but it was at the side of me. Right, what did you put on it? What did they put on him? A gown or something? They gave it? him a pyjamas and a t-shirt. Right, okay. Right. Neil, there's trolleys, there's petitions, the working conditions for the nurses and the doctors in the hub. No, I'm not talking about the hospital case people are ringing in. I'm talking about a hub. They're running it for the sea, for the National Health. The nurses are running that department. They come in on their shift. They're on a trot. They don't walk. They're running to patients. They're running to chats. They're running to ambulance men. They're running from the time they start to the time they're finished. It's unsafe practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The doctors, maybe it was New Year's Day, understaffed. They are worn out. Health and safety in this hub is gone. Patients right, the charter of rights for parents, patients are gone. I can tell you, there was a, a, a woman across from me, she came in with a complaint, oh, you're going on dialysis. I know everything about everyone. Because you could you hear everything? Because we're up at, we're in telephone boxes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a disgrace. You do it's day or night, it's just lights are on, there's no, just working, working, it's unsafe practice. And I want to know why HECRA allowed this in the first place. Yeah. I want to know why our three ministers, we have three ministers in Cork City, allowed this. But when they come, everything is gone, everything is cleared. Bad situation don't come into it anymore. You get a chair, you get your prescription, and you go on a waiting list. Well, we had a Celtic Tiger one time and a roared. And our our little Celtic Tiger now are sitting in the pods, pining. And you're 57 pining. years, on, it's 57 hours on the chair. On a chair right. with my coat for a pillow. My legs, my husband got me a chair to put my legs on. On accident, on intravenous medication, heavy doses. Right. Now I could have went to any hospital, but my specialist was in that hospital. And I went there New Year's Day. And this the, and this chair, this fifty-seven hours in the chair, was within the A and D where they were treating people. Yes. Not out, not yes, out the front. This is in with the. No, no. Yeah. This is the hub. I'm calling it the hub area. Yeah. Yeah. And the nurses are running it. They're not being paid for running it. The doctors aren't being paid. Pay them. They will get all the waff. No, no, I know for circulation. No, because I, I don't know what's going on with the health system. Yeah. I'm listening to it. I'm listening to it for how long? What is wrong with us? I remember people like you and Joe Duffy when you were students and talking up. The hell was cold down. The hell was cold down. I saw a man go for an operation 20 to 5 in the morning. No, that was grand. He got his... Uh, that man went up to that operating theatre and the clothes he came in. I didn't see any prepping. Unless they do it at the same time. Oh, who knows? Who knows? But what did you do for the 57 hours? I mean, did you get any sleep? I couldn't... No. I didn't sleep for four nights. I still don't sleep. Then 
I get get my oxygen levels back, I said, I need a stretcher. The girl looked high and low. She got me a stretcher after a few hours. Shifted in then to a side centre, big, no bigger than my hall at home, and there were six stretchers in there. Yeah. It was like a spaceship. Six stretchers. They're moving out of each other's way. It's unhealthy. It's health and safety is gone. Yeah. For those workers. And I am appalled. Yeah. And if you you didn't sleep for any of that, you no. still haven't. So you haven't no. slept since Sunday morning. No, right. no. This is Thursday morning. I'm, and what yes. about food? I got it last night. No, the food, beautiful food. They were they went around the cleaning staff. Will you have water? What they could do, they did. I have no complaint. For none, them. none. The complaint is with management. I went to bed management. I went to all. Uh, they were. Caring people, they know what's going on. I want to see the CEO. Silence. It was like electricity cut. In other words, electricity go out. Oh, we don't know where he is. I said, where's his secretary? We don't know. Yeah. I said, when can I meet? No, I, I had to go off action. No, I walked the car. He goes, this is me now walking around. I went in. I said, a bright 70. I'm coming now with an old woman out of it. Really? No one knew where the secretary is. So I am. So you actually were looking for somebody to yes, answer questions yes, and to be held accountable. Yes, yeah. Okay. Yes. Right. On behalf of the staff, on behalf of patients' rights, gone. If I was an animal, I'd have a tag, and I'd be treated better. Yeah. 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 I went to walk the corridors. No one there. His his faces. I have yet to see the CEO of the CUH in all our years speaking on this. Your husband was saying you're lucky to be still alive. He said there was... I am. Yeah. I was seriously clashing very, very... I An asthmatic since I was 12, but I control it. Yeah. My meds didn't stick in. No, I couldn't even speak. My, my, my action levels are up. But I am... I, I can't get over it. I'm appalled. Yeah. I can't get over it. Yeah. I am. It's after... And do you think that there were many others of... I mean, there must have been a, well over a hundred or more, I think your husband was saying to us. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But do you think there were many of them in there as long as you've been in there, you know? Longer. Longer. Right. On chairs. Longer. On chairs. No shower. Do you know when you go to tax in the emergency room with your children long ago, there was a big open space? Yeah. That's the hub. There is no shower. People didn't shower. Men didn't shower. I saw a man clean his own vomit because he had to help the nurse. She was out there exhausted. The CEO won't meet anyone. I want it closed down. I do not want Hikra, a semi-state body, in there. I want a public inquiry. No, we have legislation from the EU. We're well able to use it. I want an independent person to come from the EU, some department, to look and speak to me. Our politicians have done nothing. They know it's going on. I'm sick of... What would fix it then? What would fix it? Because we talk about it year in, year out. Money. Money. Pay your doctors. Pay your staff. Put the money into the poor plebs that's going in there, the likes of me. And I didn't have to go in there because I have cover. Yeah. Are you still so, so, so... So you're in a bed now in a ward, though. I am. Yeah. I, I've got a bed, and I and they're beautiful, good, hard worker. Neil, you won't get it in Chichester's country. Yeah. And he was there. He what was you saw, and what you witnessed, and what you went what through. What I saw. We can't even wash ourselves. I pity any woman that went in there with gynecological problems because everyone would hear your business. We have no choice. We have no choice. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, I mean, you, you tell it very impassioned, in fairness. You're talking from the I heart have, and you're talking from the experience. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I have a conscience. We're co-done. And I hope the people of my city, my Cork city, will think of that when they're looking at their parents on chairs, on hubs. I saw men, quiet men, get upset. Psychiatric unit person sitting in a hub facing a wall, a plastic wall, three feet for hours trying to control herself and her anxiety. Looking at the wall? Yes, a plastic partition. You're in partitions, you know yeah. what I mean? I was in an open one. So, you see, when they're speaking on baits and trolleys, they don't speak about the hub. You're discharged from the hub and I waited this for two or three years. I, we're going to lose our lovely our, our medical staff. Actually, they're, they're leaving anyway. Sure, like if the, the situation you're describing home. there of those working there, should they? Hmm? they, they, they is it any wonder they're just saying, "No, I'm off. I'm going to the UK." Well, maybe not the UK, but they go to Australia. Expect your daughter to start the shift at eight, twelve-hour shift, and to trot. They're not working. They're on a trot all day. For patient all day long. Mistakes will be mistakes will be made and are being made. You know, damaged. Some professional, they are running the unit with this C faceless CEO. They're running the, and they're not being paid. Pay our heads up, pay them. We're in tight. You look at your wage packet every week and you see what you're paying in tax. Deal. I yeah. didn't tell you, you know. Yeah, I do. We are, we all do. We, yeah, we all do. We were the people that got up. We're the people that got up at six o'clock and we did. Demanded. That's I, right. I and you know something? Up. It's an absolute disgrace that people who do yes. that and work hard and pay their taxes yes. to make the country yes. a better place get nothing yes. for that tax. Absolutely nothing. nothing. Humiliation, yeah. degradation. I could go into all the feelings. This is after a fair. I'm affected uh, from it. I had to come on your radio for you to give me my mouth, for you to give me the right to speak to the Cork City people. We have three ministers. I'm sick of them. I'm sick of them smirking, fighting across the doll with each other. Get your act and you will never get your act. And Mr. Donnelly, I hope someone will tell you that I now need Prenival the right to speak he's given me. Yeah. Because we have no rights when we went into the hub. Yeah. Not the hospital, the hub. They're using these hubs for other purposes. Yeah, yeah. You saw it and experienced it with your own eyes. And a Shocking. young mother... Mommy, we love you when she's on the floor. Yeah. I broke my heart. I have a conscience. Yeah. And to God put me in that hub to see where I could see. And to describe it to us this morning. Absolutely, yeah. Patricia. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and describe it breathless. I'm still a patient. Yeah. Okay. Stay in so, touch, will you? Stay I in want, touch. I will. And thank you for giving me this way. Not at all. I thank you. Okay. You're in my kitchen every morning. All right, girl. Mind yourself. Stay bye in bye. touch. Happy Take care. New Year well said. Bye well bye. said. 100% on behalf of everybody. We talk about those that will just not. They just won't stick that out. That, you know, what Patricia describes actually for people working within the health system. I mean, they're not gonna. They're not gonna stay in that. They're just not. They're just not gonna work in in an Irish health system like that. And they're and they're going overseas. We see statistics this morning from the Australian Bureau of Statistics. Kevin was telling me that there were one thousand five hundred and fifty five new Irish nurses joined the Australian health system in twenty twenty one. In twenty twenty two, one thousand eight hundred. Irish nurses joined the Australian health system. Um, and between 2007 and 2017, which is a 10-year period, 20,000 Irish nurses left Ireland. 
and work now as nurses overseas. But in one calendar year, the one just gone, 1,800 Irish nurses left Ireland to work in Australian health in 2022. Text 0868104106. Just quickly finish the conversation with Vince. Then I really do want to do some texts from lots of different topics out of respect to people. Vince, good morning. I'm back again, Neil. Good yeah, morning. Okay, just, I do just, sympathise. I do sympathise with that lady, and totally I because she experienced it, she witnessed yeah, it, and exactly, she told yeah. it very well. Yeah. But yeah. my point is moving it in a different direction. What, what I'm saying to people is January now, and are we, what did, my point are is, we a third world country? Incidentally, have I missed something? Like, oh, oh, did yeah. I did I not hear that our exchequer funds are absolutely bursting at the seams with tax takes? Did I miss something yeah. and we became third world recently and I was yeah. asleep for it or what? A consultant has said to me that um, uh, about six months ago, he said the A&D in CUH is not fit for purpose anymore. You know, the actual building isn't fit for the numbers that are going through it. So the, there's a lot of things need to be done. But my point is this. There's a lot of things we as a people can do to change our lifestyle. And... I'm talking about the 100 days of walking, getting out for a walk, alcohol. I gave up alcohol. It changed my life. I dealt with my mental health issue, which is a huge problem today, mental health. Huge problem. And what I'm saying is, like, it's the start of a year, and there's a lot we can do, like, to help ourselves, you know? Yeah. And uh, of staying out of hospital, like, in crowded places, wear a mask. But what I'm saying is... Yeah, you, you can keep yourself out of hospital and healthier if you drink yeah, less or healthier. give up alcohol. If you eat healthy you and do, you give up yeah. junk food and you don't eat too many uh, fatty foods and you can keep yourself out of hospital and live longer if, for instance, you walk and exercise and do a bit of, um, maybe a bit of gym work and weights. But that doesn't keep I, you, that doesn't necessarily exclusively keep you healthy. Yeah, you, you, the other point is about it is when the stress levels are high and you're, you know, the like your immune system breaks down and then you get the flu. You know, how to keep the immune system up. But there's a lot of, like, I'll give you an example. That is there's true. That, that is true. A, Healthy people will survive viruses better and react to them better. Yeah. Yeah. There's a problem by the road. I, I, I was out for a walk the other night. There's about 70 barrels, empty barrels, I'd say, the pub. Like, that's, that's 7,000 pounds, you know. Like yeah, what's so what's wrong, what's so what's wrong with lot. that? What's wrong with that? It was Christmas time. Yeah, people were partying, meeting pals. We can't, yeah, that's fine. But, like, the, the bottom line is, Irish people, we drink too much. The bottom line is, we drink too much. You don't know? know don't and know about that. Alcohol, not so sure about that. Have, no more so 20, than the Brits, nor the Australians, nor the Americans. I drank, I lived in, in Canada for long enough to know that they drink just like we do. In fact, possibly even worse. We have 20, 20%, just shy of 20% of people still smoking. 18, 19, 20%, you know? Like, what I'm saying is, I offer the school here, Colossus, but Dave, I'd offer my services to the HSE. I can talk to anybody. I gave up the alcohol. There's a lot of people out there who'd like to give it up, who would like to give it up. You know, I, I, I think people like me and people who have given up drugs and drink could go around to schools and different places and work. I could, I could work for the HSE for nothing. Yeah, but that's and, fine. And, so, so okay, that's grand. So it improved your mental health. I understand that. I'm delighted we need, for it. We need, to, we need to get people down on drink. We need to get people off cigarettes. We need to cut back what we're consuming in alcohol. But that's so very little line. consolation to the likes of Patricia, who's in there with the clot in her lung and others as well, who are down Correct. on the ground you reeling and get, I know breathing that. in you pain. Still, it's not yeah, alcohol-related. 
you will still get a lot of people in hospital and children and elderly people. We know that. But uh, what I, my point is this, and you ask any medic in the Mercy Hospital or CUH, and they will agree with me, that alcohol is very, very bad for your mental that's true and a lot of the overburden on our health system in general has to do with lifestyle choices I'm not disagreeing with that don't think I am for a moment I'll give you I'll give you a great as you say put a coat on even it's raining put the coat on get out for a brisk walk yeah yeah. last night for example do what Kira Kelly is saying get out there I walked down to Parky Ring and back last night was a beautiful night great crowd great atmosphere young kids there you know but, but instead of taking the car walk Cork Bay carrying the football, so a good result as well. And it was a great result, fantastic. And you know what? It was incredible. Uh, I was up close near the the pitch. The pitch is in great condition. You know when you really look at, like I said, just take the Cork team, the Cork football team. It's incredible when you look up close how incredibly fit and conditioned they are now. Your own Rob Heffernan is doing the strength and conditioning for the year. But they were in fantastic. Like the speed of these guys, you're looking at, you're looking at premiership level of you know players. It's it's like they don't win much. Yeah, my God, they give it everything. It's a know? good I, way I, to fi- I, it's I, a good way to finish the competition. I'm looking at athletes in peak condition with best body shape and best physical appearance. Yeah, it's brilliant. Just goes to I, show. I have one request for you there. I put it up on my LinkedIn page. I'd love you to play it. It's only two minutes and fifty seconds. And it's a piece done in his kitchen by Sir Anthony Hopkins. He's 85 years old. And he gave up. He said, he says in the piece, I'm a recovering alcoholic. He's 47 years off the drink. It would be well worth your while pay because he's got a, such a great voice. Send me the link. Yeah. Send me the link. Just uh, WhatsApp me the link. I've no problem playing that. If it's that and, good. Uh, yeah. You know, he talks about Guinea and he looks in fantastic shape and like, I would advise anybody, I've been through the mail with mental health and cigarette smoking and the addic- alcohol addiction, and I would say to, for the coming, this is January, if you would like to give the alcohol up or give any substance up, I, I'd say go on that. Would you like to give it up? But hang on and a second. Like, to, not, not everybody should give up alcohol. Only people no, with a problem no, with alcohol. No, I'm people that are really... Like, yeah. there's, there's a lot of people with... Like, there's a lot of people that are... Let's call a spade a spade. They're, they're, they're heavy drinkers. Yeah. They yeah. need to either cut back or that's cut right, it out. That's right. You know, and and te- I'm saying... When I, I've been, are you a believer of dry January, for instance? Is that a good way to start? I don't believe in dry January. I'll tell you why. Because that's another... That's like that's like almost bipolar. Then you you go uh, dry January, and then you go for hell for leather for Patrick's Day again. You know, yeah. Like I'm talking. A lot about of people, people though go do a lot of people do dry January, and they never go back. Or and and if they do, they go back and they drink in moderation. Yeah. So surely be to God, yeah. something is better than doing nothing, and it includes dry January. True, true, true. And, and but I, I think it's the see the problem is journey. if you if you give up drink or you become a non-drinker, don't you get yeah. an awful lot of pressure from people saying, "Ara, go on, have one. What's wrong with you? You don't have a problem. Have a drink. You're antisocial. You're no fun." Uh, exactly. Eleven years off last night after the match. What did I want when the match was over? Cork won. I was all excited. I was delighted they won, and I wanted a drink after the match. You know, I wanted a drink, you know, and uh, I just, <laughs> you know, put it out of my head. But like, you will get a buzz for it. You know, I got will a buzz that pass for after 10 or 15 minutes then or what? It would t- take a good hour. 
you know, and you can get kind of edgy and cranky and it, it takes a good hour for it to pass, you know. But uh, what I am saying is uh, the one piece on, on Sir Anthony Hopkins' right. thing, and okay. I think it's great advice for, for the Send coming the year. Send me the link. Send and me he, link. Says, he says, be kind to yourself. I think it's one of the great things that one can do for 2023 is try and cool it on the... On, on alcohol and be kind to yourself. I think it's a great, uh, uh, a great advice. All right, thanks for sharing it. Stay in touch, Vincent. Uh, Take care, Vince. So, cheers, cheers, thank cheers. Thank you. Okay, bye home. Bye. Uh, I got to do text. I really do. Home carers at the bottom of the barrel. I was talking about home carers. There's like thousands of people who are entitled to home care visits and have been uh, processed. Thousands of them and they have not got a single visit. It hasn't been signed off on yet. Home carers at the bottom of the barrel. I'm a qualified home care assistant and a qualified SNA. But I would never work in this sector. Home carers don't have guaranteed hours. They vary all of the time. When I looked into this work, I was offered the following. Approximate weekly hours varied from between 10 to 24 hours a week. I'm rural and I was advised that I'd be commuting 40 minutes each way to do anywhere from 30 minutes to two hours work. Um, Travel is not paid for, incidentally, and the hourly rate is between 16 and 18 euro per hour. See, on top of everything else, um, why would you go into a profession where you don't get guaranteed hours a week? One week it could be 10 hours and the next week it could be 25 and you're travelling 40 minutes each way where you're not getting mileage. Um, Morning, Neil. Can I ask you to remind people that there's a vigil at the lock on Sunday in memory of Bruno Fonseca. Uh, There are likely to be hundreds, if not thousands of people at the lock on Sunday. They should wear a mask. Stephen Donnelly is telling the doctors to work weekends while he's on holidays. If we want to fix the problem, I suggest he brings back the nuns. You could eat your dinner off the floor, it was so clean. And the hospitals were run brilliantly. Yeah, but nuns were not nurses, were they? You know, we, we need medics, don't we? We need more hospitals, really. Um, one or two more on the A&E. Did the government not use private healthcare beds during the pandemic when there was a shortage of A&E beds? If I'm remembering correctly, they did. So why aren't they doing the same now? You are right, they did. Uh, but not the, the, the And the offer was there, but I don't think that many of them were taken up, though, if I remember correctly, the option to move people to private healthcare facilities and private hospitals. Listening to speak on the hospital crisis, I wonder if people know that private A&D departments are open. Yes, there is a charge, but it's a capped charge. This could be an option for people who do not wish to spend days on end on trolleys all you need is a GP referral for a private A&D department. Uh, seems to me, Neil, that you'd be better off getting COVID-19 than getting the flu these days with the symptoms and problems people are having and the sickness. Uh, it should be referred to as the emergency department, Neil, not the A&D. A patient was diagnosed with flu virus. No need for antibiotics. Uh, can't inform in an ED how long you'll be waiting. It's unknown. I hope that text makes sense. Okay, I think it's a correction as to how I'm dealing with it and calling it the A&D. It's no longer the A&D. Regarding the lady who was discharged from the A&D with flu and discharged with an inhaler, people are totally antibiotic obsessed. Viral illnesses do not need antibiotics. Can come on air as I'm a relative of a health service member. But seriously, people don't need ambulances for these illnesses. Wake up. Uh, that lady should never have gone into the hospital. Yeah, and we had a few before 10 who should never have been in hospital. South Dock should have seen her and prescribed the antibiotic instead of automatically sending her into an overcrowded ED department. HSE is rotten from the top down. Ministers, GPs, management, the whole lot needs removing and replaced with competent staff in management. 
uh, bring back the Troika let them loose on the Irish HSE. If someone dies because of the state of our healthcare system, can Stephen Donnelly in the HSE be held accountable? Um, the uh, text continue. My son had a concussion before Christmas, needed to go to the CUH to be observed. South Doc told me to stay up that night and watch him myself, as he wouldn't even be looked at up there. He was fine, thankfully, but the place is a joke and the doctors themselves know it. Uh, the lady you spoke to, Anna, about herself and her husband in hospital over Christmas, fair play to you for questioning her the way you did, as I knew you were feeling the way I'm feeling right now. Both herself and her husband, uh, and people like that, are the ones that are blocking real emergencies. Both x-rays were clear. They shouldn't have been there. I bet they wouldn't have been there two years ago when COVID was rampant at the start of the pandemic. Remember, our A&Es were quiet then says Mary. Now, I know what you're saying and I was exasperated at the amount of doctors or indeed South Dock that are sending people into the A&D or the emergency department but I wouldn't be blaming Anna or her husband for that. That's what they were told to do because they were told that there was something an awful lot more serious wrong when there wasn't. So South Dock should be able to make more of a call themselves rather than pushing people towards the ED. HSE has too many chiefs and not enough staff. Top level are looking after themselves alone. Nurses, healthcare assistants are told to sink or swim. Also, you need to remind people that specialists don't work at weekends or at other critical times, meaning that there are bottlenecks every weekend. It's not rocket science. A root and branch look at what it is and what necessary to solve it would solve the problem. People's toes uh, need to be stood on as the HSE is a total mess it's also easier, easier to get an audience with the Pope than see some doctors. Yeah, I was mentioning that unfortunately the Irish health system way too often seems to operate on a Monday to Friday 9 to 5 system and that won't work. A final one, the hospital is a nightmare. My heart goes out to those working there. My daughter was very sick before Christmas. It was suggested she needed to go to hospital. I have VHI and she was seen twice in a couple of days by a doctor. I sat awake for nights minding her and keeping her as comfortable and safe as I could as I was afraid if I went back to the doctor they would send her in there. She had a nasty throat and chest infection, most likely strep A. We struggled through it and she's okay now, but how long before something bad happens to a child um, who doesn't make it to hospital? Uh, we, we gave 92 million to the EU to combat climate change. That money should have been spent on our Irish health system. And there's a lot more like that we shall come back to. Text 0868 Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. Yeah, criticising, um, say, for instance, people working in the hospital settings. Well, I think Stephen Donnelly was criticising consultants, saying work harder and work weekends and what have you. Pat is also suggesting any chance politicians would work longer hours by any chance and maybe while they're working might work more efficiently if they did their jobs properly for the whole state. Uh, they would need they would they would need to fear us the mob if they don't yeah we've threatened all of that before haven't we but we still vote them in time after time uh, listening to the show I recalled a doctor's visit I had a couple of years ago when a German doctor was filling in for my own GP she was horrified that she had to send me to a hospital for an x-ray and an ultrasound she told me that she had her own machines in her surgery in Germany and it relieved all that unnecessary visits to the hospital for possible fractures and gallstones. Perhaps we should adopt this at community level and have locally funded X-ray and ultrasonic available to local GPs. 
that they have to, for patient safety, you know, send patients to hospitals for very simple diagnostics that would relieve the pressure on our hospital systems if they could do it themselves. I like that one. Listening to a conversation about people being sent to the A&D, it sounds as if South Doc are not doing comprehensive checks. They're just shifting people off to the hospital. No wonder the poor A&D staff are broken. It must make their blood boil. Fair play to them for not exploding with a patient that really doesn't need to be there clogging up the system. Um, yes, the ANDs are mental, but that also filters through to the wards because what's happening now is uh, there is pressure to release beds on the wards. People, um, while people get fantastic care, there's a rush to free up the beds. Although people may be medically fit for release, they're still being sent home too early. I know a young lad who has zero mobility. He was in the CUH and is there at the moment with several infections and pneumonia and is being treated with antibiotics and oxygen. It has already been suggested that he go home. There's so much pressure to free up beds. I wonder, I worry that people are being sent home too early. Well, I would humbly suggest, and in the case of the young lad that you're talking about, that he certainly would be. And then, of course... Here's a, a disturbing email uh, of a woman who has been diagnosed with the most aggressive grade 3 breast cancer. She's after two major operations, is starting chemotherapy today. Now, her GP applied for a medical card in November, received a letter in the post requesting a letter from my employer. I submitted this on the 23rd of December um, and obviously... His wife is unable to work, so she's on uh, Department of Social Protection payments because of the cancer, uh, but starts chemo today. And they still have heard nothing back with regards to help because they can't afford the prescriptions provided to them by the bonds, the oncologist. The estimated costs €900. Euro. I'm assuming that's per month. Um, I've called the medical card department every working day this week and every person asks for the letter that I submitted in December from my employer. I have submitted it twice again yesterday. My wife's GP also made contact with several people on the issue. No updates. You need to highlight the HSC and its flawed processes and how they function when people need them most. Yeah, I can understand your upset. Um, Your wife starts chemo today. And of course, the bills, unless you have a medical card, will be astronomical. But yet, when you need it most, and you get onto those in the medical department, they keep asking you for things that you submitted last year. I mean, it must be absolutely frustrating beyond belief. And a final one for now, maybe you could ask someone in the know why the the COH is hiding trolleys on the wards. In other words, patients brought into the ED and need a bed for which there is none may be put in a space on a full ward that's unsuitable. This has been happening for a long time. It's to make the trolley numbers seem better than they actually are. Um, maybe a CUH rep could answer this. Don't give up my details. Yeah, I, I often wonder whether the actual figures and stats that we're getting are accurate and fair. I will come back to this and lots more besides, so do text 0868104106. But you know, I was comparing things Earlier this morning to, you know, if you looked at a newspaper headline 10 years ago or two years ago, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 20 years ago, January of any year, would it be any different? It wouldn't. It would be just a hell of a lot worse. But we were also doing some work as a, by the way, comparing prices of things now and say 10 years ago. Because there was a story in the papers earlier in the week saying buying a home year after year after year gets just tougher 
and tougher and tougher. Um, and, you know, it now means that the average property price is about eight times the average income. Now, when you think back in the day that a mortgage would get you the house and you might have two and a half times salary for the mortgage and you were grand. So we're looking at at least eight times now. So what we were doing was we're looking at the national figures um, and comparing a price of a three-bedroom house now and the price of a three-bedroom house 10 years ago, right? They are saying now nationally that the average property price of a three-bedroom seminary in Ireland is €370,000. Now, that takes in rural, suburban and urban areas. So obviously, three-bedroom semis in Cork being built now are actually dearer in many cases than €370,000. But if you did look, say, and took that figure of €370,000, the same house 10 years ago a three-bed semi would have been €175,000, right? Not 370, not 270, not 280, 175. So that's the difference. Um, and it is a difference of, um, what is that, over 200 grand. It's an astonishing difference. And just to back that up, we took a deeper dive into house prices. And all of these are for three-bedroom semis. Right, So a three-bedroom semi in Cork City, say, for instance, Douglas, 2012, €175,000 in 2012. In 2022, 10 years later, it's not 175, obviously, it's 374000 In Glanmire in 2012, uh, a three-bedroom semi, €140,000, now €290,000. And that really depends on where in Glanmire. You can go to Ballanglana where they're building new three-bedroom semis now and they're north of 365, 375, €385,000. Ballancolic was 228, it's now 380. Carrigaline was 197, it's now 310,000. Middleton was 190,000, now it's 312,000. In some cases, you have an increase of over 200 thousand euro for a three-bedroom semi in a 10-year period. You can drill further into Carrick Tool, Glanmire, Lehenamore and Money Gorney and areas like that for new three-bedroom builds and you'll find the same story time after time after time. A lot of those stats in fairness were sent to me. They're not all my own. Some of them are, but a lot of them are from Sean McCarthy of ERA Downey McCarthy he joins me by phone. Sean, good morning. Good morning, Neil, and happy new year to you. And happy new year to you. It's alarming when you look at it in the space of a decade before? Uh, well, it certainly has been an interesting 10 years, but I'm not quite sure whether to use the word alarming. I thought, you know, you were starting from a very low base back in 2012. Is the reality of the situation, I suppose. I mean, if you look at between 2006, uh, when the peak of the market, 2006, 2007, to 2012, property prices had, had more or less halved. So I suppose with a 50% uh, reduction in order to get back to the levels they, they were at, they, they, need to, they need to increase by 100%. And that's probably, in broad stroke terms, what, what has actually happened over but the last But you're actually suggesting that it's just back to where it should be now, even though in well, some cases, in Douglas, Glanmire, both of those as examples, they're twice the price that they were. Absolutely. They're, I would say in broad stroke terms, property prices are twice what they were in, in 2012. Yes, I would. Oh my God. But yes, 
Okay, because they were artificially low after the collapse, is it? Correct, correct, absolutely correct. But what if we what uh, if like, we did an exercise and went back twenty years ago? What would we see? We'd certainly see th- house prices two and a half times salary, wouldn't we? You probably two and a half, maybe three times. Absolutely, yeah. I suppose the, 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 there are fundamental differences in in the market between now and and, and the collapse in terms of borrowing capacity. If, even looking at our own figures uh, in in two thousand and and twenty two. Over thirty percent of our buyers were still cash, which is an incredible figure, really. To be honest, to be honest with you, one, one, one or three buyers still cash. So it, there's different dynamics now to 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 when the property uh, property crashed back in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. I would suggest it's a, a stronger stronger market. I mean, so if find, nothing else, that was the time to be buying at the uh, dip, the crash. Oh, I, I I would say two thousand and twelve was the was was the was, was the dip. That's what our uh, data would suggest. Okay, okay. We we would have seen a recovery in two thousand and thirteen in particular. There was definitely a stall in two thousand and nineteen, just pre COVID. I mean, all the experts uh, predicted, I suppose, then when when COVID arrived, that property prices would um uh, would decline again. Quite the opposite happened. Um, there certainly was a pause for a couple of months, but after that, property prices drove on. People started saving. People, you know, reevaluated their lives, and and bigger houses and more garden space, etc., became a priority. And we were straight up like we were taken back by the level of activity from two thousand and twenty on. Okay, you know? okay, um, okay. But so I accept there was a crash in two thousand and twelve, and property prices dropped dramatically. So that's why in Carrick Tool you would have had a three-bedroom semi, brand new in 2013, at 148 grand. The exact same house is on the market now for 295 grand. There's a new development in Elmbury, a three-bedroom semi, for 350. Um, In in Glanmire, a three-bedroom semi, brand new, in 2012, was 145,000 euro. A three-bedroom semi on the market now in Oakfield Close, is now three hundred and eighteen thousand. You you yeah. will just call that a correction. You you don't think there's any greed or scalping or developers or builders or people owning land just making a killing? I don't think so. No, I, I genuinely don't think so. I I, I think the price. The prices are, are one thing. A lot of this comes down to, to uh, repayment capacity. I mean, the reality of the situation, particularly for first-time buyers, and first-time buyers are, are the, the most active in the market at the moment. If they rent a property at the moment, okay, the likelihood is they will be paying 1,800, 1,900, 2,000 euros a month, okay? Whereas if they borrow 300,000 over a term of 25 years, they'll be paying something like 1,400, uh, 1,450 euros a month. So it makes financial sense. Now, that's not the norm in the market. Uh, and that probably needs to be corrected. There's certainly a shortage of rental properties at the moment, and that's driving rents high. So it makes sense for first-time buyers in particular to buy a property. Oh, but it also would raise the question that perhaps those building or selling them know that people can potentially afford to pay 1800 in rent. So on that basis, they calculate the property price of a new home on the basis that the people are well able to get loans and repay them. Like... Why would a new development in Bananglana, a three-bedroom semi, be on the market for three hundred and sixty-five, three hundred and eighty-five thousand euro? No disrespect. I'm sure they're f- they're fabulous houses. I know the houses. My son has one of them. But why so much? Yeah, new houses uh, will always carry a premium. Okay, they're much more energy efficient. They're brand new. They're out of the box. And the bottom line, to be fair to the developers, is that those prices are driven largely 
by construction costs and construction costs have gone out of control over the last 12 to 24 months. So that, like, the, 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 the reality of the situation really is there are not enough new homes, homes being built in Cork at the moment. That's the reality of the situation. So uh, it, 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 as opposed to the, the developers being greedy, I think the developers actually need to be supported to provide those new homes. And, and it's very difficult for them at the moment because of the construction costs in particular. Okay, okay, but that, but then that that's a three hundred and sixty-five or a three hundred and seventy-five thousand euro three-bedroom semi. Uh, how much would you need to be earning? How many salaries do you need, and times salary to even get a mortgage to pay that? Well, the central bank have, have, have changed the rules as of the, the, the start of this year. You're now looking at four times salary. Um, it was three and a half. So they, they have allowed for property price increases. And that's conservative in comparison to where it was back in 2006 and 2007. So I think the, 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 the central bank in particular have been prudent. Uh, it's not runaway lending like it was back in, 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 in the, uh, the, the early noughties. Um, so... You know, you're, you're talking about four times salary at the moment. Okay, and and then when you see, for instance, various phases of new housing estates going up from phase to phase, sometimes a phase mm. can jump by forty grand for the exact same home in the period of a few months. Is that because of construction costs? Obviously, look, the, the reality of the situation is developers and builders are in, in, in business to make a profit as well. I don't have any issue with them making a profit. Some of it is construction related and some of it is to, to, to increase their profits. And, and I don't have any issue with that, to be honest with you. Oh, but you don't think that in this society we live in, including houses and house building, that they're hiding behind that and using it as an excuse? No, I don't think so. No, no, no. Quite the opposite. I mean, look, the reality is we need developers, we need property builders because, you know, the government aren't going to do it. Someone needs to do it. And, you know, they're providing a service. We need houses and it's developers and property builders are going to, to and builders are going to provide that. Have you noticed that housing agencies or councils, city and county councils, are buying up housing estates off the plans and making it harder then for people who have managed to get their hands on a mortgage? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think so, really. Look, they they, they have a requirement, obviously, and that's. Uh, no, that's, their requirement uh, should involve them building their own, really, not buying. No, the I, 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 I think it possibly should. I think it possibly should. It doesn't at the moment, um, and and uh, it, that's something that that the government should should certainly look for, uh, look at. I think also the government needs to look at, you know. You, you have quite a few, um, you know, small uh, landlords getting out of the market, selling off if they have one or two investment properties. You know, we've noticed a lot of those uh, type properties are being sold by landlords at the moment. That's not good for the market because you need rental properties as well. There's no tax incentive really for uh, the landlords at the moment. It's all stacked against them. Every penny of it is pretty much taxed. So there's no incentive for them to stay in the market. And that causes pressure on the rental market. I mean, yeah. we have dozens of emails coming in here every week. People, you know, coming back to Cork or relocating to Cork looking for property, properties to rent. We have over 700 properties on our books under management at the moment, but we can't satisfy the demand. It's yeah. just crazy. Yeah, yeah. And just with the, finally, with house prices, as I've just outlined now, comparing them, as I know, to the to collapse of the Celtic Tiger and what have you, the prices that we're looking at now, which seem very, very high to me um, for whatever reason, are they are they destined to keep increasing? Um, I think they will increase. If you look at DAF's latest report, I mean, they they, they would suggest that property prices increased by seven point seven percent in in two thousand and twenty. It went up to eight point one percent in two thousand twenty one, and uh, it slowed to six point one percent in two thousand and twenty two. Now, it's important to realise that those reports are based on listed prices as opposed to sale prices. I think the increase will will continue. But possibly not at the same 
level. I mean, if I look at 2022, um, certainly quarter one and quarter two were much more active in terms of viewings and the number of people looking at properties uh, in comparison to quarters three and four. But surprisingly, our sale agreed actually increased. I mean, we took 28 deposits in October, we took 28 deposits in November, and we took 24 deposits in December. Uh, so you're, the buyers at the moment, certainly in quarter three and four of 2022, were very focused, uh, very targeted. They knew exactly what areas they were looking for. They had their finance uh, all arranged and they were ready to go. And just finally, so, what know, area are people looking for? What's the most popular place to live? The established areas are always going to be popular because, you know, convenience to the city, schools, you know, you're looking at your Black Rock, Ballon Temple, Ballon Lock, Montanati, Bishopstown, Douglas, Glasheen, we found it very popular at the moment. Those, those houses also, I suppose, the, the two advantages in the sense that um, the, the location and, and proximity to the city, ser- city centre and services, but also... The plot size of the gardens and that tend to be larger in those properties as opposed to a new house and it gives you scope to extend and, you know... So the size uh, of the garden is important, but you named Uh, three or four different areas. There's there's no one area that stands out above all of the rest, is there? Not really, no, no, not really, no, no, no. And the prices, broadly speaking, I would say they've increased by... Probably they've, they've probably doubled over the last 10 years, I would suggest. And that's across the board. You know, some prices will be starting lower. Some prices, prices will be starting higher. But broadly speaking, prices, I would say, in Cork and, and the surrounds have doubled over that 10-year period. 10 years it has doubled. Thank you so much for taking the call, Sean. Happy New Year to you and Many all of the crew. Sean McCarthy yes. at ERA, Donnie McCarthy. He is right. Middleton, 2012. Three-bedroom semi, 190,000. Now, 312,000. Balancholic, 228, now 380. Douglas is just insane. 2012, 175,000 three-bedroom semi, now 374,000 in an area called Curra Woods that is over, well over twice the price in 10 years. Back after 11. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Frienderville Show Okay and it's women's little Christmas on a Friday and little Christmas of course are Nulig Naman We've teamed up with the Metropole Hotel because they've got a big women's little Christmas night planned for Friday night at the Metropole Hotel 6.30pm Prosecco reception on, a live, on arrival with live music uh, Just after 7 then everybody sits down to a fabulous four course banquet in the ballroom in the Metropole Hotel so that's dinner and after that then of course dance the night away with the live ABBA tribute band Super Troopers and after Super Troopers the ABBA tribute band DJ till 2am now there'll be party games novelties spot prices on the evening great food few drinks Prosecco with your pals and you can book directly at the Metropole yourself but we have a table to give away for tomorrow night at the Metropole Hotel for women who want to celebrate women's little Christmas or as we say in Cork little women's Christmas maybe on the 7th then the night after we might plan on having a um, a little men's Christmas for those that suggest that every day is Christmas day for men but anyway that's for another day so if you want to win it we want to hear your funniest your best your craziest pal or gal pal stories Um, stories of nights out or fun or entertainment 
the broadcastable and the unbroadcastable is fine by me. Text 0868104106. Anything from, say, a night out to a party, a time when you went out with your pals and had a great night or got into hijinks or had a couple of close misses, whatever the case may be. The best story of a gal's night out, please. Text 0868104106. Email neil at redfm.ie. Thank you. Neil Prendeville Show. Gold winner for Interactive Speech Program at the Imro Radio Awards 2022. Cork's Red FM. All right, I was giving out house prices there a while ago. I mean, it's astonishing. You can say that 10 years ago we were in the middle of a, another recession, but we're supposed to be in kind of one of those now, but yet house prices are not reflecting it. Sure, they're not. But 10 years ago, of course, the Celtic Tiger had died, right? And things collapsed, and they said that would have been a good time to buy a house. So, bear that in mind when I give you figures like uh, for three bedroom semis at 175 grand 10 years ago now they're 375 and 385 and 390 and things like that but that's the fact you know you you can go to suburbs like Douglas or you can go further out like to Glanmire, Ballancolic, Carrigaline, Blarney, Middleton um, Carrick Tool Lehenamore and Toker, Money Gordy and Douglas looked at a three bedroom semi that was built in 2010 for 275,000, now 365,000. I looked at other ones then, Glanmire, I was telling you about a 145,000 three bedroom semi would now cost you 318,000. Um, some of these are new builds, new build three bedroom semis that will be getting. 365, 375, 385 in places like um, Glanmire or even, say, Carrick Tool, for instance, a new development in Carrick Tool, Elmbury, three bedroom semis in Carrick Tool. Uh, 10 years ago, it would have cost you 148,000 euro. Now will cost you 350,000 euro. I mean, it's absolutely insane. Uh, also, many people then are looking instead to do refurbishments on their properties, and that doesn't even make sense. Like, um, speaking to an architect recently said that a refurbishment that would have cost 250 to 300 grand a few years ago is now being quoted at between 1.2 and 1.5 million. Please do not tell me that that has to do with cost of materials. It just doesn't. I have a sneaking suspicion that an awful lot of stuff in this country is being priced up on the pretense or the excuse of, um, you know, war in Ukraine, uh, energy costs, fuel, labour, cost of material. I just, forgive me, I just don't buy it. I just don't, pardon the pun. But Eileen, good morning. Morning, Dave. You're the greatest. So you want to look back at things as they were many years ago in the price of a house. What have you, what have you got your hands on there? I have a birthday card dated back to 1951, 70 years ago. Right. I bought it there recently for a friend of mine who is going to be 70 shortly. And I have a shopping list of, I'll read it out there for you. It says petrol, three shillings and four pence for 3.5 litres. A large white loaf of bread, sixpence. A pound of sterling steak, two shillings. A seaside holiday for a week, six shillings. What sh- shillings now? Seven, like I know it's seventy years shillings. ago, but what would shillings yeah. have been like? What was the equivalent? You know, pounds, pounds, pounds. I would say it's you know pounds, shillings, and pence. Yeah. So yeah. three shillings. What would that be in yeah. new in our money now? Oh Jesus! I 12, 24, 12, 24, 36, 30, 36 cents. 
Amazing. So petrol was 36 cent a gallon. Yeah. <laughs> a gallon. Yeah. And cinema tickets was one shilling and six pennies. 12 pence. Uh, yeah. A pint of beer, one shilling and three pence. Uh, 15, <laughs> 15 pence a pint. Uh, a box of 50 cigarettes, two shillings and three pence. Did you say 50? 55, oh, yeah. You mean there was boxes of fags with 50 in them? There must have been. What? <laughs> really? There must have. And a three-bedroom semi-detached house, £1,450. £1,450 smackaroonies 70 years yeah. ago. Mother of God. Average weekly wage for a full-time worker for a man, eight pounds and six shillings, and for a woman, four pounds and nine shillings. Wasn't that amazing? It and I suppose there were still queuing in the North Infirmary. They were still queuing in the North Infirmary. <laughs> I nearly said they were still queuing in the North Infirmary. Yeah, some, things, some things never change, but it's it's actually insane as well that men were earning twice what women were earning. Yeah, oh, they were, they were, they were, yeah, they were women, and they were doing the same work. So if that was, more. yeah, absolutely. So eight, eight pounds a week was eight fives, that's about 400 pounds a year. Yeah, amazing, wasn't it? 400 pounds a year, and a new house then was three times that. <gasps> Cheaper, yeah, yeah. Now it would be 10 times that. Or even more. In, in even more. Even more. It's amazing, isn't it? It's incredible. How, things, how these things have changed. Isn't it incredible, oh, the price of things? But again, everything is relative to what people were earning back then. I wonder if people 70 years ago felt that things were cheap. They probably felt it was still expensive. Oh, of course. I, I would think so. Because, I mean, if their wage was that long, they bought accordingly to their means. You know, and they bought what they needed. They never bought what they wanted. Everybody wants, no. Well, that you is know, true. It was different. It know, was different then. They were, they were different. They just lived accordingly to their means. But I mean, we're, we're all living off our means now. We never have enough. Well, I suppose to some extent, many, many people want things now and they don't want to have to wait anymore or they feel, you know, like, like years ago when people bought a house, they didn't really... Um, decorate or do up the entire house. They kind of did it bit by bit. It was it was more likely to be yeah. lino than carpet, wouldn't it? It would have been. It would have been tarpaulin, as they used to call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's different now. Um, listen, and they're great. They're great paper. numbers. They're great numbers. Appreciate you sharing them and with us. They are grand. Yeah, well, it's nice to have it. Take care. Thanks so much. Thanks, Eileen. Right, Hold on to that card. Have Take care. One thousand four hundred and fifty pounds for a brand new three-bedroom semi. Back in 19... I suppose we're talking about 1953 at this stage now. Anyway, text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. A lot of texts from earlier in the week. Happy New Year to you and your team. I was just uh, talking to a Spanish girl at work today who told me that 13 women were murdered in Spain in December alone. Many of these cases, the women had reported the partner or the ex-partner to police before being murdered. Isn't this and cases like we had in Cork last weekend a real wake-up call for domestic violent cases all over the world, not just here in Ireland? Yes, and thank you for that. I do appreciate it. Lots then on hospitals. Every hospital in the country should be handed back to the nuns. They did a fabulous job keeping the places clean. We didn't have half the amount of diseases in hospitals that we had. The government has let the hospitals rot. Give it back to the nuns. And where would the nuns then get the staff 
uh, to deal with it. You know, there may have been cleaner hospitals, but there was certainly a lot less people living here and going to hospitals. Um, oh, it's the flu back. Uh, where has it been for the last few years? Anybody asking? I can't believe they're getting away with this rubbish science that they're allowed to get away with. Vaccines don't work. Mask wearing doesn't work. I dare you read this out. Uh, the man on the air, I don't know which call you're referring to, but this is to do with, oh, because says my mother has had the four COVID vaccines. My mother has had the flu vaccine. My mother has had the pneumonia vaccine and all of her boosters, but she still hasn't been well and hasn't been for months. All these jabs are lowering, lowering people's natural immunities. The question is, why aren't the HSE bigwigs being sacked for gross misconduct? Um, GPs, ask GPs why the receptionists are triaging patients now and are not qualified to do so. I'm so cross about this. I'd love to know the GP receptionists, the accountability that they're taking on by refusing to allow patients to be seen by the doctors. It's doctors um, should be dealing with these situations not their receptionists. And a huge response then to issues down in Killarney and the carry-on down in the Killarney Hotel. The men involved in that violence, Killarney, um, are this country and our children's future. Um, how, How do you make that out? Anyway, to say I'm mad, angry and fuming and disgusted with the government and how sneaky they have been is an understatement. Without saying too much more and getting into a big long story by text, I just want to say that I hate this new Ireland. I fear for the new Ireland. I grew up in this country, but the love has gone from it. You're saying that this is an example, the violence in Killarney, um, of the Ireland of the future. Georgian asylum seekers in this country are very likely to be economic migrants no more. There is no war in Georgia. It's deemed a safe country uh, by the EU. The Georgian ambassador to Ireland said in November 2019... Um, that it was a safe country. The number of asylum seekers from there has risen hugely in recent years. Is the word out that Ireland is a soft touch? These people are very unlikely to be deported. If their claims are rejected, they probably know it, um, that they won't be deported. Research how many applicants for skilled visas have come from Georgia. I'd say you'd find none. Or are they just moving the problem around? In the case of what happened in Killarney, every one of them should be deported. And somebody said, I work in Australia. If those troublemakers in Killarney did that in Australia, they'd be on a flight back home within 24 hours. Put the 20 on a flight and wave them goodbye. Among other things, you would save the state millions on legal and other associated fees. And Eilish says her sister lives in Killarney, is wheelchair bound. She said the place is gone to pot. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 Red FM. You guys are seeing a really big problem with international protection orders being granted to people to come here and have uh, their applications processed to stay from places like Algeria, Albania, Georgia and places like that. Texters are saying what's wrong in Albania or Georgia? They should not be here. This is separate now to asylum seekers, refugees, well, separate to refugees anyway, and those coming from Ukraine. It's those men that have been making the news recently in Killarney that have been getting everybody so angry. Why um, separate the two lots? We're being told that diversity is strength and that everybody should be happy, but yet you have the Georgians and the Algerians separated in Killarney and being sent to different parts of the country now. Uh, We can see that this is not uh, the case um, with regards to diversity being a strength. It's actually a worrying situation. Our open door policy is a soft touch. 
It will be the downfall of Europe. People will keep coming and we will end up a social state just like the places some of them are running from. The taxpayer here will have to fund this. But that's been kept under wraps. We have situations already where you can't get into a hospital without waiting for ages. Can't see a doctor, an ambulance. You're going to have these vulnerable young men hoovering up any services that may be out there and deprive Irish people more of the need. The cart is before the horse here. I can tell you one thing, the future is bleak, not just for us, but for all of Europe. And Patricia says the Irish taxpayer should not have to pay for court proceedings for the violence in Killarney. In my view, they should be deported immediately to their country of origin if they can't abide by their laws. And a final one, uh, refugees should never have come through the system without background checks. Background checks. That's the problem. House them all together and we will see many more situations like Killarney. Perpetrators should be extradited instantly. They're not welcome here. I'm talking about criminals. That does not make me racist. No, it doesn't. Actually, there was one text that I've seen more and more over the past few days. Is It is texts on the basis that people who behave like that should be deported, deported immediately. As in, no court, no trial, just deportation. Uh, some might feel that's too harsh. Your thoughts are welcome on it. Text 0868104106. Uh, lines are open. Meanwhile, uh, as the clock ticks away on me, Women's Little Christmas is Friday. And I've told you we have a table for four of you at the Metropole on Friday night for the best call. The best gals, pals, night out call. But 6th of January, known to many as Women's Little Christmas or Nolagnaman, is traditionally a time when women enjoy their own Christmas. Right, because women work so hard over Christmas, and I'm assuming that we do accept that men pull their weight, but probably don't do as much as women. Would it be fair to say over Christmas? So this is the time when women on Friday will enjoy their own Christmas, while the men folks stay at home and handle all the chores. That's historically what it was known for. Uh, but how many people were still aware of it or celebrated or actually know the backstory to Women's Little Christmas? Seamus was on the streets of Cork to see how the women of Cork plan to celebrate uh, this year. He was even brave enough at one stage to ask, um, should we men have our own day like Men's Little Christmas? Maybe on maybe on the 7th of January. Have a listen. Christmas when it's over, it's over. Whether you're a man or a woman or a beast. <laughs> <laughs> the best little women's Christmas I ever went to was in Shandon Street. Up in our house at the top of Shandon Street. And we went down there, all the women, and what a night we had. And my mother-in-law, now God rest her, and all her friends. And I was I was younger at the time now, and I always said that was the best one I ever had. And lads, while you're, while you're there, women's Christmas is always traditional for the men to try and find themselves a partner. I guess it's yeah. Did, did you, you ever find something like that? You may not find you get rid of one, no. <laughs> no, let the wife inside. We go ourselves. <laughs> we always had the women inside. <laughs> no, 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 we probably go together too. That's when we, when we walk together. We probably go together, you know, and uh, enjoy it. I've never actually uh, celebrated women's Little Women's Christmas or whatever it is. Women. Women's Little Christmas. <laughs> yeah, no, never celebrated it. I, I've always been working. <laughs> and what about yourself? Well, I would have been all the time. 
Well, I know traditionally it was the time where guys used to go out and try and find themselves a partner. Yeah, but I have a pet, so it doesn't much mind going home, is there? No, we can celebrate it all. No one really celebrated. No, no. My mums would celebrate it, all right? They'd go out for but drinks. My brother's birthday is the 6th of January, so kind of just consumed over him more than women's Christmas. Not my kind of scene at all. Never have been? No, 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 no. And why is that? I just don't like a lot of women. To be perfectly honest with you, I'd rather be in a public house with men talking about soccer, talk about Liverpool all day long. I think I did it once and I swore never, ever, ever, ever again. And that was about 30 years ago, I'd say. No. Not for me. No, I'll be going for a pint now. I'll be celebrating them. <laughs> the, the men are saying there should be a day for them as well, maybe the 7th of, of January. Me. Every day of the year is men's day. Exactly. Tell them build a bridge and get over it. Yes. Oh, without the shadow of a doubt. They have it handy every day. What did they do? Get up. Next cup of tea. Yeah, all day long you pass the kitchen. Throw on the kettle. Throw it on, yeah, could you throw it on 20 times. But you still have to come back and make it yourself. But you see, the answer to that men, is... Give men's week and get rid of them. Get up and make your own. We need a day or two, like. Is that true? Does he, does he deserve one? See, we've both got the same amount. Like, I don't think he goes more than me or anything, so I wouldn't see it as a priority, like. So, do you think it's a thing of the past, celebrating I'd the... i say so. I think I've done enough celebrating over Christmas. I don't think I could face another day out for okay. night <laughs> Well, this is the first time now in years where uh, we're going for a meal in Rossini's, is it? And then for a drink or two afterwards. And did you miss it over the last few years? Not really. You know, uh, I think I'm getting too old for it. <laughs> <laughs> and would there be a good gang of you going? Well, four of us, so. But when we did go out, no, years and years ago, I have seven sisters, so we all went down that night. So we used to make an eight of us. I'm going to Thompson House <laughs> uh, with my daughter and my friend Friday. And do you go out every women's Christmas? Uh, we do, yeah. We'd like to celebrate it because it's the end of Christmas. Is it just with a meal that you go out or, or do you go no, parking No, just a meal and that's it. Okay. Women's Christmas, little Christmas. Yeah. Will you be celebrating on Friday? No. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Never even thought about it. Do you ever celebrate it? I used to, yeah. When I was a child, we used to get sweets. Hang up or stop. But you wouldn't go, are you in later years you never no. went out? No. We never celebrated. I had a friend from Kerry and she would not like the mom was a big thing with her. But not with us, ever in Mayo. No, okay. never did. Yeah. Well, so. there is a section of society, uh, mainly the men, who believe that there should be a day for them, the 7th of January. Oh, really? Oh, well, maybe. But I better work on that then. Who's going to vote for that? I don't know, they loud, boisterous affairs. There used to be quite loud, boisterous affairs back in the day. A lot of hotels back along used to put on big, big functions. There'd be loads of them all over the place. And primarily here in Cork, I think it died. I don't know that it was always exclusively Cork and Kerry. I think it possibly was uh, Women's Little Christmas. But certainly it's on the wane. And we're hearing less and less of it. But years ago, many of the big stars would come to Cork for Women's Little Christmas. You would have Joe Dolan playing. You would have Dickie Rock playing. 
if you go back along you'd have an awful lot of the show bands there was big demand actually as well for strippers and uh, at one stage on Lee side we'd have the likes of the Chippendales come to Cork and put on shows particularly around this time when it was Christmas and women would go and they'd have unbelievable fun they'd really let the hair down and as I say sometimes it became loy, loud boisterous affairs no, no trouble I mean in that regard but probably raising up uh, the decibels. So your thoughts and your memories of Women's Little Christmas are indeed stories with your pals. Like Lisa's got a good one. She sent it in by email, but it's always better to chat. Lisa, good morning. Good morning, how are you? I'm good. So let's, uh, where do I begin with this? You you decided, you, you were learning to drive, I think, wasn't it? Or did you have, was, you had yeah. learned? Yeah. 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 But um, I was only after three lessons. <laughs> you thought you were yeah, ready for your first road trip, is it? I thought I was easily <laughs> ready for road. I was. What did you plan on yourself and a pal? Was it Rebecca? Yes, Rebecca. So we had just planned to go up the mountain. There was a pancake truck. We said we were going for pancakes. Where? Where morning. was this? Uh, the V Mountain Pass uh, between Ismore and uh, Care. So why 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 was there a, a pancake truck up the side of a mountain? Was it doing much business up there? Oh, they were every Sunday. Yeah, it was the place to be on a Sunday morning. <laughs> okay, up up the V you went yeah. then um, for your first road trip. Anyway, tell us about it. So we got up the V, we had our pancakes, we were happy out. In the meantime, I saw that there were guards after pulling up on, let's say, the right hand side of the mountain. So I said to Rebecca, I said, I cannot go home that way. I refuse to get stopped by the guards. <laughs> so like, what would have happened? You you didn't have. A license as such. You just had taken. I three didn't lessons. have my full license. No. Okay. Okay. Go I, ahead. Um. So I decided that I would go left. We take the long way home. Um. I had never even been down this road. Never mind driven it myself. No GPS um, or anything like that. Oh yeah, Rebecca was on that on on the passenger seat. She had the Google Maps open. Um. Um. I had to be in work for two o'clock, so I was taking it, you know, a bit handy, not so handy. And um, so came to a series of corners, went around the corner, everything was fine. Next thing, I was on top of another corner without even realising it. So, easy to say, the car did not make the corner, we went into the ditch. Oh, for God's sake, woman. Yeah. Oh. Uh, we were fine, not a scratch on the car, not a scratch on us, thank God. Why, My friend Rebecca. Were you, were you speeding or what? Like? Do you know what? I actually said it to someone afterwards and they were like, Lisa Marie, what gear were you going around the corner? I said fourth and they were like, well, there's your problem. I was like, all right, okay. <laughs> Should have been in second. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> um, you know something? There are lunatics now on the, ro- on the roads who freewheel in the car as they're driving along. They take it out of gear, going down hills and everything. Have you ever really? heard anything? Have you in your life ever heard anything so dangerous as freewheeling in neutral down a bloody hill? No, I don't even know if I'd be able to go around the corner and freewheel. It's <laughs> just the most dangerous thing. All right, so anyway, there you go. Pick up on the story. You're in the ditch. Go ahead. We're in the ditch. Um, my friend found it absolutely hilarious. I was panicking. I was meant to be going to work, but two hours after starting a new job. So in the meantime, anyway, we got out of the car. Rebecca climbed over my seat and we were on a country road. Farmers stopped and asked, you right, girls? Blah, 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 blah. And we said, we are. Uh, we were after organising help. So in the meantime, and my friend Rebecca, very small ladder, decided, right, I have to go to the bathroom. I was like, Rebecca, like, we're wide open space now. All you can see is farms. <laughs> and um, Totally safe so then. Says, totally safe. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So she says, I'll have to go behind the car. 
So I was like, right, so I was trying to stand in a certain way. Now, no matter who came around the bend for me the direction, they were going to see Rebecca doing her wee behind the car. Behind the polo. <laughs> behind the polo, the poor little polo <laughs> stuck in the ditch. Um, so that was fine. And a time had passed. And next thing, um, a farmer on what looked like a Honda 50 from the 80s came up and around the corner. And he said, are you all right, girls? And we said, yeah, we're fine. We have help on the way. And all was good. And next thing he stopped chatting. And next thing, whatever way he looked, he saw the stream going down the hill around the corner. So he said, Jesus, girls, I swear you have a radiator. <laughs> oh, God, don't make me laugh. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, it took us a minute. We were like, Jesus, what's that like? And next thing he said, and he pointed. He said, look, you have a radiator leak coming out from behind the car. I see all the and steaming well, water going down the road. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So we had it, obviously we started laughing and he was getting angry and angry because and, this is a serious situation. We had a radiator leak and the two of us were stood there laughing. And um, the next thing he you know, he was giving out to us and I had to pretend that the phone was ringing and I started to pretend to cry then on the phone to get out of the situation. <laughs> so that was us. He was, he was getting angry because you didn't believe him about the radiator where it was actually, yes. it was actually Rebecca's knew what team. it was. <laughs> So how did you get how did you get out of it in the end? Oh, I just had to turn around. I had to turn around and I left Rebecca deal with it. I was like, you know what? This is your problem. You can explain to the man what the stream is going down the road. Did you get pulled out of it in the end? We did. A local farmer pulled us out. <laughs> Lesson yeah. learned. Lesson learned. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Never dumb. go around the corner and poke here. Yeah, well, you know, do another few lessons first so you understand the difference Absolutely. in the gears. Yeah. You know, they're, yeah. There, they're there for a reason, like. Oh, and now I appreciate what they do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, girl, mind yourself. Take care. Stay listening. Mags, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? How are you, girl? Are you well? Happy New Year. I'm great, thank you. You were in singing with me with the Penny Dinners High Hopes before Christmas. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, we oh, we had a ball. We loved this. We loved and tell it. me, what yeah, about Women's great. Little Christmas? Do you celebrate? I do. I love it. I absolutely love it. Like years ago, we'd go, you know, the the big hotels and that, before COVID and that. But um, this year, no, I hadn't had a book because my brother wasn't asking. But anyway, he's fine now. So, but what would you yeah, do back hoping, in the day? Because it doesn't seem to be as popular as time goes on, you know. But years back, what would happen? Um... I, I thought that too, that it was after loop, but it's not actually because I tried to book a place in the last few days and every place was booked out. Oh, you mean every every kind of restaurant Friday night would every be... Every hotel, yeah. every hotel, yeah, yeah, And yeah. are there a lot of yeah. hotel functions on besides the Metropole? Yeah, there's one in Cagaline, there's one in Vienna Woods, and I, I rang them all, Silver Springs, the Metropole, and they're all booked out. Hang on a and second, there, so Cagaline, Silver Springs, we know about the Vienna Metropole. Woods. The Cork International Hotel is another one. Vienna Woods. Yeah, I rang them as well. They're booked out. Vienna and, and, Woods. And, what, uh, and are they putting on bands and disc jockeys, DJs and, and dinner? Yeah, and ABBA seems to be, ABBA seems to be a very popular uh, team, you know. They're, they're doing their ABBA bands and that. And, I'm all um, wrong then. It's as popular as ever if all those places are putting on events. It is. And Park have a thing called Bingo Loco. No, I'm not too sure. I know there's music. I presume there's a bit of bingo and loco. And the bingo loco now, that would be for women's little Christmas. Only women would be left in or what? Yeah, it's for women's little Christmas, yeah. All right, and so I there's rang one, and two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, seven different hotels you give me all doing something yeah, on Friday night. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah, you're thriving so. Yeah. yeah, it seems to be back with a, you know, with a good, good, uh, but... Uh, 
my story is kind of funny. And go on, yeah, listen ago, to it. Fair play, go on. <laughs> years ago, my older sister, myself, my daughter, I'd say I was only about 18, and lucky enough, I wasn't drinking at the time, right? So anyway, that was grand. She'd give me a lot. She'd bought a new fur coat, a shaft, brown, kind of brown and black. Fur. So, uh, fur, yeah. So out we went anyway, and we had a great night, whatever, and she met a man that she knew. So he invited us back for a cup of tea, right? And that was grand. We were in I was very shy and quiet. So I sat in the armchair way over on the right side, and they were sitting on a two-seater couch, and of course, they knew each other, so they were yapping in mine a minute, right? Yeah. But I spotted an Alsatian on the right-hand side on the mat. So he stepped away wagging the tail, and he was looking at me. So I love dogs anyway, I've always loved dogs. But he stepped coming slowly, and the other two, as I said, were deeply in conversation. But this dog started coming over to me and I started rubbing him anyway, did right? The, the did you have the fur coat on? I had the fur coat <laughs> on, right? So he started making for the sleeve. So I was very quiet, as I said, and I was saying, lads, he's eating me in the fur coat. I'm sure the Alsatian, I'm convinced he thought I was another dog. He thought you were a dog. <laughs> because the, the coat was not the same colour as him. <laughs> how bad did, how bad did it get it got so bad that he had the sleeve and he was pulling me and the chair was going and I was going as well <laughs> so my voice started getting higher lads help the dog is eating me in the fur coat <laughs> and you know what it was Neil the funny thing my sister being older I was more worried about her coat than I was about the dog back in the day when people actually wore fur coats Yes, <laughs> that's it. But uh, eventually, I shouted so loud. Anyway, they jumped up, and the dog got a fright as well. And he backed off. But I never forget it. I said, I never wore a fur coat. Could have been a hell of a lot. Or every time I see an Alsace, you know, I'd pretend Jesus. I mean, I laugh at it now, like, but you know, I mean, I don't think he was going to do anything too much. But definitely, the sleeve would have disappeared. That uh, you never know. You never know if you thought no, you were a dog. You no, no, I don't know whether he was getting amorous with you or whether he wanted to fight you or bite you. We leave that for another day. Who knows? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. There was some material in the coat that he didn't like. Or, I don't know. I'm not sure. To be Happy honest. days. But it was you. Funny. Happy days. Four coats were all the rage back in the day, weren't they? They were a real status. Oh, yeah. Yeah, lovely. Fierce and I think they're kind of back now as well. Yeah, you've seen that one now and again. Yeah, but would, but, you, uh, would they be fake though, wouldn't they? Oh, God, yeah. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't have. I don't think I wouldn't have wore a real one anyway. Yeah. You know, but yeah. uh, no, yeah. no, no. Cruelty. Be very cruel. Point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cruel. Let me, let me yeah, talk yeah. to Ellen. Thanks, Mags. Mind yourself. Ellen, good morning. Were you morning, Were you going to the Arcadia, was it? I was, Neil. Me, myself and my sister and a few friends were going to the Arcadia. How long ago? Uh, oh, well, no. I'm 18 now, so I was about 16 at the time. 17, I'd say. Wow. So what kind of acts would have been in the Arcadia back then? Oh, don't tell. I don't know. They would have been show bands. Show bands. We're talking about the early 60s anyway, aren't we? Show bands. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, the Royal Showman and all that like. Absolutely. we were only interested in dancing and the fellas that's all we were interested in. Yeah, but you must have looked a million dollars. You see the photographs of people in Cork in the 50s and 60s. They looked like film stars. (laughs) Well, Neil, we were going there and I was passing the railway station. You know, it's almost across from the Arcadia and we were passing that anyway and I had a pair of high heels on me and one of my heels got caught in the drain as we were passing the, the railway station and the, at that time they made the heels in two halves so that um, 
anyway, geez, I couldn't get my heel out, and the 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 half a heel fell down the drain. <laughs> so there I was stuck with one one half a heel, and the other was a full heel. So they were all look. They said, "What are you going to do?" Well, I said, "I'm still going." Anyway, we went into the arcade, and I think it was. Prendergast or something was there. That's right. It was Peter Prendergast was the man who owned it. Yeah, remember him? I can uh, remember him. Yeah. Well, I tell you now, we went in anyway, and uh, we went in, and I don't know, I don't know, it was, I don't know, was it two shillings or something? Maybe one and six or something like that to go in. But anyway, we had that because we, we got Christmas money, like, and uh, we went in anyway, and I was, uh, we were in, into the hall, and the there were six or eight of us together and who did the fella come over to me with no one on the floor come over for a ten you must have been the best and looking woman in the Arcadia if you were the I first asked no, out for a no, dance no, just, I don't know anyway yeah, I, I went on the floor with a heel in the hand <laughs> and danced away with it and then they, of course um, and my friends and my sister were laughing like came back anyway of course the floor filled up there once there was someone out of it like and I came back anyway and I said that's the end of that Anyway, for every dance after that, I was taken out and Neil. Would you believe that? No way. You were a anyway, popular girl. I just felt like kept asking me. I'd, like to, see a, I'd like to see a photograph of you doing your thing in the 60s. You must have been one hell of a looker. <laughs> anyway, he, one, of, one of the fellas, one of the fellas asked me up. At that time, there was just a bar, the minute, there was only minerals. Yeah, on that's all. That yeah. No bar. come up for a mineral. And I, I was thirsty, all right, like, but I was saying, no, I better not with that heat in the half because I fixed <laughs> down the stairs on the way down so I, I, I didn't bother but so it was nearly time to go home anyway and this fellow came over again and uh, asked me out for a dance and I said we well, were just going away he said could I walk you home <laughs> oh god no I said I'm with my sister and my friends anyway I said I tell you what I you know uh, the, the heel was in my mind also. look I said I'll be here next week I said and I'll see you then and on behalf of my friends there yeah. so that was that. We came, we came out, out of the, the hall and I walked from the arcade here to turn this cross with a heel and a half. Heel. <laughs> and to the, the, to, a heel and a half. And to this day, we laugh at that. And every time that anyone mentions the railway station to me, I always think of my half of my heel down that drain. Did you ever but meet your man? Did you meet your man next week? No. I never went there. I was never interested in him. I tell you the truth. And what no, about Women's Little Christmas? Do you ever celebrate that? What? Women's Little Christmas. Do you go out with oh, your yeah. pals? Oh, we did. We went several places, like. Where would you go? Uh, well, it was mostly, you know, all the hops, as they used to call them. Yeah. And we, we used to go to, there was a place there in, um, oh, I, I forget, no, it was near Liberty Street. There was another place there. And there was a... Uh, it was mostly the art because uh, my father was was was, uh, was was in the air force and he was very kind of strict and we had to be home at a certain time and he meant it like yeah, yeah. and we had to be home. But other other than that, we had great ways to go up to the place up there by the barracks. There was a place up in the barrack up by the barracks. We used to go up there. I was very young, like my sister was two years older than me. Yeah, and she used to be dragging me along. Yeah, and she used to be. Anyway, she said to me one day, she brought me into the bathroom one night and she said to me, your eyebrows are very thick there. She said, come in, come in here. And I had, um, I had four brothers and then the razors were up on me. She shaved off my eyebrows and that was all right. 
and uh, <laughs> she said to me, I, I was like Charlie Chaplin, <laughs> she put big kicks in. And my, mom, my dad says to me, where, where are you going? Are you going to a fancy dress ball or something? I said, we don't know where we're going. Yeah, but he couldn't tell me we were going to anything. Yeah, and I had a, we had a brilliant night up there as well. I had a brilliant night, but the main thing was that he always stuck in my head. I know. And I had a brilliant night, Neil. I'm delighted. You'd have been better off breaking off the second heel and you'd have been balanced better on each foot. Anyway, back after the break. Thanks for that, Ellen. Text 0868104106. More of those stories in the morning. The Neil Brenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818104106. All right, we'll come back to more of those stories. So do share them. In the morning, we'll pick a winner for the Metropole for Women's Little Christmas. So text 0868104106. Email Neil at Red FM or pick up the phone on 0818104106. I gave out an awful lot of numbers. This time last year, I was talking to Gráinne Tindall. She is a numerologist because there's power in numbers. So we got the new year and everybody has a numerology number and that can control your life path, I'm told. But listen, without me wanting to confuse you, let's talk again with Gráinne about 2023. Gráinne, good morning. Uh, good morning to you, Neil. Happy New Year to and you. And to you too. And so everybody has, is, is numerology like um, a life partner or, or a colleague of astrology, for instance? Well, I guess you could say they walk hand in hand, but they are slightly different in that with numerology, we look at your name from birth and your date of birth. Okay. Whereas astrology, it's more about the timing of your birth. So it's just a little bit different. But at the end of the day, Neil, as you well know, you're a wise soul. It is all about energy. And so your name has a significance, as does your date of birth. So if you were to deal with somebody, right, um, and you -hmm. were to sit down with them and and to help them to, uh, is it to plot changes in their life, is it? or a, a It's partly that, yes. It's about timing, okay. as as in when is the right time to do things. But ultimately, more my, my work is more around helping people to understand themselves, to get a deeper knowing of who they are, what they're here to do, and not even just career now, but their purpose. Like, our purpose is not just our careers. Our purpose is what we can bring to the world. And how would, and you, how would you do it, say, if you looked at a Sagittarius, like Kevin, for instance, mm. the third day of the 12 month, 1993, making him a Sagittarius. Don't throw me on the spot now, Neil. Or no, but, uh, but no, say for instance, or, or somebody born on the 10th of March, 1973, yeah. or a 61. How, how do you make sense of those numbers? Yeah, that's a really good question. Well, each number has uh, a significance and a re- uh, relevance. So, for example, someone who's born the third day of the 12th month, without going into the full details, they would be very creative people because the number three is the number of creation and it's the number of manifestation. So I don't equate it to the astrology signs because that's different. I'm just looking primarily at numbers and adding them together to get a final number, which gives me an indicator of a person's skills, potential, um, all about what they can bring to the world. That's really what it's about. So you end up with one life path number that could be a exactly. six or an eight or a yeah. four. And, yeah. and are some numbers then more powerful than others? No, all numbers have significance. They have both positive and negative um, parts as well. But for my work, like for example, this year, 2023, if you add it all together, it comes to the number seven. And so for the whole year, from the 1st of January to the 31st of December, as a world, as a universe, we are all living in a seven energy in numerology. 
Okay. Is that good or bad this year, the number seven for 23? It's good. Um, well, I mean, year six that we just left, you know, that was very much for me, as I would have spoken to your good self last year, was around community, people coming together to support each other because the treble two is all about support. And then year seven's a little bit different in that it's much more introspective. It's a time of more or less going inwards. It's about being a spiritual warrior. Do you like that? I love it. Yeah. I'm not sure what it yeah, means, I like though. Too. I like the word warrior. I like to be a warrior. So do I. Yeah, gladiator. So it's about being in your own power. It's very much, this year gives us an opportunity to go inwards, to look at the past, to heal the past. And I know the last three years have been very challenging for a lot of us. So seven equates to healing in all its modalities, medicinal, um, complementary and alternative. So you might see a lot more people looking towards finding other modalities and how to heal themselves physically, emotionally, mentally and spiritually. Mm. And it is, there is a raise of consciousness. You know, people are starting to question. Seven is about truth. It's about awareness. It's about, you know, taking their power back. And, you know, it, it, to me, this year gives us all a chance to really, really look at our past and watch for the patterns that have emerged. Because a lot of my work is looking at past patterns and helping people to break those patterns, if you will. And you so, can determine that from the numbers? Yes, I can. With every I'm single from- individual person that you will sit down with? Well, I've been doing this for 27 years now, and I've helped thousands of people to uncover and discover who they truly are. A lot of the time, my work involves helping people to remember because my work is around the soul. The soul is the real you. And when you remember what you've kind of come in to do, it's a remembrance, if you will. So I never give information that people don't really know. They know it. They might have suppressed it, but that's my role in, as a numerologist to help people to remember why you're here. Right. It's really, it's really exciting. Yeah. Right. And, and mm-hmm. that, that, is, that proves successful for people, does it? In, in, oh, yes, in, life, in a life-changing way. Oh, yeah, it changes people's lives. Like, people can come to me from all over the world. My work is all over the world now at this point. And, you know, people might come for relationships for health reasons, you know, just to understand the patterns. Um, intergenerational healing is a big part of my work. And also careers. So, because um, I've, I've trained in a lot of different modalities, so I incorporate it all in a package, if you will. It's, a mis- it's kind of mystical then, is it? It is, because um, it's working, I'm very grounded, so it's working with practical tools, but I'm also using, you know, I'm tuning in to our, to people's higher selves, to, to the inner world, if you will. And like, for example, just to share, like this year, we're in the seventh year, for your listeners, if you think back to the years 2014, 2005, and 1996, they were all seven years. So if you look back what was going on in your life at that time, that'll give you a snapshot of what possibly can happen in this current time. And uh, so I just thought that might be curious. Oh my God, if somebody had a shock in 2014, oh my God. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true, but then they might want to learn from it. How can they look at it differently? How can they approach it differently? How can they, what have they learned about themselves? So, so within the numbers the then you can look at improving people's health, their welfare, their, their job prospects, and maybe time for a change yeah. in that regard. I did read somewhere last night also can help with finding a partner. Well, yes, because there are numbers that are, well, I feel, you know, if you work on things, we can always get things to, to, to manifest. But yes, there is very, it is sort of a value in terms of 
uh, seeing where there's compatibility. Because there are certain numbers that will clash. <laughs> so once you know yourself... That's A bit like thing. star you know signs can clash, can't they? Yes, they can. They can. And, I mean, both astrology and numerology are actually a science. It's not like woo-woo that you just made up. This mm. has been going on for thousands of years. So, you know, everything is energy. You know, a lot of people are very interested now in quantum physics. And, and it's. It, I feel this year we're going to see quantum physics very much hand in hand with spirituality and with science. So do you believe that you can wish things into your life then, you know, manifest things in by just concentrating on a thought or a, a thing that you wish to bring into your life as much as get rid of from your life? Do you think we have the oh, power? To, we have the power for that. Oh, of course, because it was Nikolai Tesla who said, if we understood the numbers three, six and nine, we'd have the keys to the universe. And what he was saying was, and he was a wonderful manifester and creator and inventor. He was saying that the numbers three, six and nine, three is a derivative of all of those. They are the numbers of creation and power. Now, it doesn't mean we give all our power to a number. It means the power is within you. So when you utilize and recognize your own power and know who you are, you can therefore focus upon what you want. I 100% yeah. believe because energy is energy. You know what I see all the time, eleven, eleven. Oh, well done. <laughs> why, why do you say well, well done? Yeah, it's a great number. It's the number of uh, spiritual awareness and evolution. And when I look at the numbers 1111, 11, I see a doorway or columns, if you will. So this is an opportunity. I see, I see a clock or a digital walking. readout, incidentally, Grania. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes, I, I see everything differently. I, I look at numbers as being personalities so or, or things. So for me, that means that you're on a path of discovery. So keep walking, keep going through it. You're on the right path. She has to take a long time over 60 years, isn't it? <laughs> when am I, I going to gonna get there, girl? <laughs> so, so, fi- so finally, 2023, a year to look inwards, a year of healing. Did I miss anything? No, well done, yeah. And, and a year to really look at the past and to change what it is you want to change. We can't change the past, but we can change how we are right now, not to repeat the past. And I feel this is a global opportunity. It's a very exciting time to be alive. We're on the cusp of something very new. And just to recognize you have the power to heal your life. Well said, girl. Good to catch up again. Have a great 2023. Happy New Year, Gronya. Great to talk to you too. Take care. You can follow Gronya on Instagram at numbers for success. The number four, I should say, at numbers for success on Instagram. Go check it out yourself in your own time. I gotta go, guys. Gotta love you, Lydia. Or I do. Live on the streets of Cork. Philip Burke is out and about this morning at uh, Marymount. I had hoped to talk to him this side of midday. I'm just jumping in to say that hopefully you have an opportunity to fill in exactly what's going on in Marymount uh, with Phil Burke just after uh, midday today. Our lines will stay open. You can get in touch, particularly for our giveaways for Women's Little Christmas. Email is a good way to go. Email neil at redfm.ie for your story or indeed your gal pal story. Text 0868104106. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.